what it all comes down to. This is music. This is mayhem. This is a high-voltage rock and roll podcast especially for you. Don't think because you haven't heard of us that we didn't exist. We've been here all along like a spirit roaming the night, seldom stopping to rest. Our path has been marked by the bolted skull and bones, smashed guitars, and starred stages across the world. Welcome to the full-on church of rock and roll. This is only the beginning. Hello, hello. Why, good morning and good evening and good afternoon. Why don't you introduce yourself? Well, you know, I normally go by the name... No, I'm just kidding. This is, <laughs> this is Jimmy DeAnda, and uh, some of you might know me from the band Lynch Mob, and some of you might know me from the band Bullet Boys. Yes. Yes. And we are here with Damien as well, Keelan, and on the phone we have Dale. What's up, Dale? Dale. What up? What, what up? is up? Jimmy, have you met Dale? Uh, have I, Dale? <laughs> In passing, yes. There we go. See, there uh, go. It, but everybody's in passing, isn't it? Yes. Dale, we're all passing. Yeah, right. Dale is one of my my best friends, and I've known him forever. And forever, he told me about your drumming. Oh, Dale, I know you. Yeah, you know it. Dale. It's that. <laughs> Yay. So, so Dale's part of the podcast as well, and it just worked out perfect, you know, synergy that you're on and Dale's on the phone. Nice. Um, so let's get into it right away. Uh, Jimmy, how was your weekend? <laughs> Well, you know, I mean, literally, is there a weekend anymore? Is there Mondays? Is there, you know, during this time period? I feel like this, literally I never know what day it is. Uh, the sleeping is completely fucking, you know, out the door. Uh, I think I, I go to sleep at around uh, 10 o'clock, but I wake up about 2 o'clock and then get up and do stuff and like mill about the house like an old man, you know, <laughs> looking at windows, making sure things are locked, you know, yeah. checking on the kitties and then uh, get back to bed. And then hopefully uh, uh, Supernatural will start on uh, TNT sometime soon. Whoa! Are, now is that your show? Oh, are you, have, has any, anyone? I, I watched the it? first five seasons and I loved it. It was amazing. Dude, seriously, it is for me. It is literally a godsend, especially right now because I just record them. Like my entire queue in my recording system on, on, at my home yeah. is like twenty episodes that I just I, I keep going back and watching. They're just it's an amazing show. So you discovered it later on? And I what, did. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, they that show places music so well. Sometimes, dude, they they. Fully highlight rock and roll on that show. Yeah. I love it. They play ACDC and Boston and stuff. Like, was, it's no business. There was one time they dropped in Bad Company by Bad Company oh, in the perfect about. spot. Forget I was about just it. like, oh, it was genius. I love that. Um, but that, that was a show that wasn't able to to shoot their actual final episode I, ever. Dude, I follow all the guys on uh, on Twitter, and they just just recently filmed it. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. But you're right. For like the last six, whatever months it, it's been, they have not, and they were right on the finale. Yeah, yeah it's so nuts. Yeah. And then the one guy is now going to be on The Boys season three. Yes. Nice. Yes. Which The Boys is a whole nother universe. Dude, that has been, again, we just saw the, the, the first three that they released. So yeah. uh, that's we're excited about that. And again, you know, these are kind of like, thank God we got these things during this time period because it's been a, it's really interesting. And I think we're getting a call. It's pretty crazy, like with the boys, like they decided it's an eight episode season again, right? Right. right. I'm like, we're gonna drop three, and then the rest are gonna be weekly. And I'm just like, well, wait a second, you can't drop like that on an album, like three songs. And people are upset. <laughs> I don't know if you've seen this, but people are upset about that. Oh, are they really? Yeah, people okay. are. I'm one of those people. <laughs> <laughs> just no one knows it. But you know what? I gotta say this honestly, you guys. Um, 
there was an, I had the conversation the other day with the, with a buddy of mine, and we were talking about um, patience, and we're talking about uh, about like when we were kids. Like I don't know, you guys were all way too young, but back in the seventies, me and Tim will tell you, like you had to wait for a record, and you had to go to a store, and and even then, wait in line at the store for the record, and all your friends were in line with you, and it was like a concert. People smoked weed in the yep. line. And for us, it was, a, it was a, a store called Zodi's. I grew up in Boyle Heights, uh, right there in East LA. And, um, and I remember like, you know, that was a part of the process of waiting for this experience to open up a record at your house, was the process was you go to the store, you wait in line patiently, everyone's there, you know, you're, you're talking about what you're expecting from the new Black Sabbath or Van Halen album, mm-hmm. and, uh, and it, it's this big ass buildup where I feel like you know shows that release everything all in one sitting and you can binge it, which is great. But I'm kind of liking the fact that I'm gonna have to wait for the next Boys episode because I'm like chomping at the bit, like, oh my god, I can't That's wait good. for the next one. But um, but for the most part, you know, I mean, now everything is just it's right there. You just click on it and you got it. It's yeah, I, I I look at streaming shows when they drop the whole season at once, like the live album. Right. So you'll you'll have like regular TV shows will be weekly, and you're used to that. That's how you've been conditioned. And okay. then all of a sudden, now with streaming services, they'll just drop it. So See, to me, that's the live album. I, I, I'm a recovering drug addict, so I I, I there's a theory within the drug world which is save save some yeah. save some for later <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, yeah. so I do that even right now like I'll get like we had the boys and I like we watched the first one I go no save them save the next two and, she, and of course my wife's like why I go because I want the build up yeah <laughs> if they would have dropped the whole season I would have watched it I know all Friday night I've yeah. been like fuck it I'm Absolutely. up all night let's yeah. do it yeah, yeah, yeah. so you mentioned you're from Boyle Heights yeah I mean growing up were you by the like like uh, Ford, like by the bridge, like where were you from? So, uh, uh, well, I'm born and raised right there uh, the, on Mountain, Pennsylvania. Okay. So it's literally it's like uh, like four blocks from Hollenbeck Police Station. Nice. Uh, you know, I went to uh, I went to all the schools in the area because I got kicked out of every school. So I went to Stevenson. I went to Hollenbeck. I went to Garfield. I went to Roosevelt. I went to all the schools because I just you know what I'm like I think like most people growing up you know it was called a troubled kid. But uh, I had like, you know, I just couldn't read properly. I would read a sentence like 10 times over and I never got it. And it turned out I have a touch of, uh, of ADD and I have a touch of uh, a dyslexia where yeah. I'll say a word and read it completely backwards and think like, why is that word wrong? Um, like, like I used to read um, hierophydrin. So not fire hydrant. I would read higher fire hydrant, and I it's would. It's a great say, band name. <laughs> I'm, hey, I'm trademarking that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm Sorry. saying it here now. But you know, I would say stuff like that, and then literally look at people like what? And they're yeah. laughing. I mean, I'm like higher fire hydrant. What's wrong with that? And they're like fire hydrant. I'm like, holy shit, that totally sounded right in my head when I said it. So. Anyways, but uh, and then of course you know once you get into rock and roll and you give a kid a little bit of weed when you're a kid, <laughs> yeah, you know it's just like now it's like really do I have to go to school now? And uh, so I ended up like I had a bad uh, I didn't have a good academic career, mm-hmm. so I bounced around from all the schools. But uh, growing up in Boy Heights, I mean it's a stone's throw from Hollywood. Yeah, you know we used to drive up to Hollywood in the early '80s and see bands like Rat before they were Rat. You know we saw Rat with. Uh, um, with my singer from Bullet Boys, Martine playing guitar at one time, and then we saw them the next like few months later with Warren D. Martini back on guitar, and then we saw Motley before Motley was Motley. You know, they had just released the 45, uh, "Stick to Your Guns" mm-hmm. and "Toast to the Town." I mean, we saw bands, you know, like that before they became who they were and changed the world. You know, I just said this, and we just lost Frankie Benali, which was a, was yeah. really a bummer. But we saw uh, um, before Quiet Riot was Quiet Riot, it was a band called Dubrow. 
because it was the, the guitar player from Snow who ended up being the guitar player in Quiet Riot, but we saw him in Dubrow, and it was basically three of the guys from Quiet Riot. So we saw that like in 81 or something. So it was really, really cool to be able to just get like four guys, five guys in a car and go to the Sunset Strip and see some of these bands. Like I said, bands like Snow were literally the like best bands you've ever seen. I mean, that was supposed to be the band, right? And dude, he I, was the guitar hero I, at the I'm time. I'm telling you, you guys, there this band called Snow, it was absolutely like seen across between Van Halen and Deep Purple and some Southern Fried Rock, and it was can I cuss? I didn't even know. Yeah, you can cuss. I've been it was fucking <laughs> brutal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it was fucking brutal to see these bands that they were just so good. I mean, it, like, you, like you said, you thought, oh, no, this is the next Van Halen for sure. They're going to be huge. And then they, it never happened. And it's such a bummer, man. And what was the line? I'm sorry, Keel. What I'm was sorry. the lineup in, in Snow? Like, it was Carlos. It was Carlos and his brother. Okay. Uh, and then it was Steven Quadros on drums. And, uh, gosh, darn it, uh, the singer's name escapes me right now. But he's back in the band now. And, of course, everybody reunited for 2020. Like, you know, Bullet Boys did. A band like Snow, they're all getting together. And then, of course, the, this fucking thing had so nobody's getting to get out there right now. But um, that was a great band. It was yeah. one of the great bands. It, it's funny about Debro because he went from having Randy Rhodes in Quiet right. Riot, right. comes back, right. has Debro, and then gets Cavazzo. Oh, Cavazzo. Who's you know. the next generation guy yeah. for a minute. Yeah, yeah. But it's kind of weird what happened to him because he was going to be the guy. He ends up in Quiet Riot. I remember living in Cleveland and going to see... I went to go see Armored Saint because, you know, my yeah. love for John Bush. Of course. And they were opening for Quiet Riot on that second record in an arena, and there was probably 500 people there. Wow. It was sad. Yeah. Well, th th there's a story about Aerosmith playing a, a venue in 1980, like two or three, uh, that held like 5,000 people, and there was 80 people there. Yeah. And, and they say, that, and was, this is during the Jimmy Crespo years, and they my said favorite. that. favorite. Right? I mean, that, that, those, that record is fucking stupid. Thank you. Thank you, Jimmy. But, dude, it really is. I mean, I'll put that on to this very day and top to bottom just go, fuck, what an amazing mm -hmm. record. But they said that Steven was so loaded that he was doing the, uh, uh, like he would mumble. Like he would like, yeah. nah, nah, that's how fucked up he was and there's 80 people there. That's so so I mean, sad. One of the biggest bands ever playing to 80 fucking people. It's got to be brutal, man. Yeah. What was the first show that you've ever, you ever saw? Uh, in 1975, uh, we went to see ZZ Top and Alvin Bishop. Oh, wow. Yeah, that was my first show. That's a good one. Where was that? The Forum. Okay. Yeah. So you grew up in Boyle Heights, you know what I mean? And like, how does rock and roll enter your life? I mean, it was pretty pretty prevalent in all of the 70s. Right. You can't get away from it. Right. But. I tell you what's interesting, because I've told this story before, but, you know, growing up where I grew up, there was a lot of gangs, a lot of violence. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and and it didn't get bad until like like around 82, 83 is when it's like, like, like literally like friends of ours got shot. Yeah, you know, like you, you we got shot. What? He got shot. Yeah, he got shot in the leg. You know, um, but um, what which, which gangs though? Like which nationality? Like what's what's rolling into Boyle Heights? So it's all, of course, it's all it's all Mexican gangs. It's uh, but the, the biggest gang, which is the oldest gang, was called White Fence, mm -hmm. and uh, but there was like uh, you know, uh, gosh darn it, like just a ton of gangs at the time. You know, uh, but so what happened was this: the options were go in the gang and possibly get shot or hang out with the rock guys and maybe have sex with hot girls. So it mm. really became a really even an easy choice to make to go and smoke a little weed and then and then have sex hopefully. Yeah. yeah. Hopefully. <laughs> hopefully. Cuz there's no one's guaranteed. No, no, no one's guaranteed. And how old were you when you started picking up the drumsticks? So I was 13. I was uh, going to <laughs> I was going I was at uh, Stevenson Junior High School and I remember going into gym class and I remember like guys were playing uh, grab ass. 
And I don't know if any, I mean, if you know, I, I know it's 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 a common thing where other guys are grabbing other guys' junk and stuff. But yeah, I, I gotta write up Keelan all the time. <laughs> <laughs> I, I do it for pleasure. Right. <laughs> Yours. Well. <Ew. laughs> But so that was uncomfortable for me. I was like, dude, I'm not digging getting my shit grabbed. And so I went to my, <laughs> I went to my counselor, and they said, well, you have to take, uh, uh, I think it's called an elective. And, uh, and I went, and it was either metal, it was uh, metal, wood, or music. And I remember the first thing I, w- I walked down a hallway, and I could hear a fucking mar- uh, a snare drum, mm-hmm. you know, in the distance. And I was like, ooh, I could be a drummer. Like, what the fuck? And I went down there, and I walked in there, and I asked for the the, the teacher, Mr. Miller, and I said, can I? be in a class he's a sure thing and um and the amazing thing about it is i really couldn't read music really well but here's the thing i do have a gift and i do know this because if i see you do something on the drums no matter how difficult it is i'm not shitting you i can do it right after you but really i have to watch you do it you can't hear it you have to see it i have to see it okay, okay? so uh i remember i became second chair within the first month that i was a drummer because wow. i saw the guy but i could never get above him because every time they tested me first i failed so I had to see Eduardo, he did it, and then I go, okay, I got it. Yeah. And then I could do it. So I never got higher than second chair. What's that guy doing now? I have no idea. See, loser, <laughs> that guy. <laughs> um, so that's cool. So, so you do that. We're going to get into your career because I know Dale and Keela want to talk a lot about it, and I have Ted Templeman questions like, oh, yeah. like crazy. So, but, so how do you move into the band world from, from that? Well, luckily, I have a brother, and who's uh, he picked up. So I play guitar for about a month and a half, two months. I went to a guitar teacher, and she and it was funny because there's there's a whole a skit on it somewhere. I can't remember where I saw it, but the teacher didn't let me play the guitar. So I went in and talked to her, and I said, "I want to play the. I want to. I, I gave her eruption to to teach me." <laughs> and she, I, I'm not lying. I swear to God. I brought, and it's an acoustic guitar, and I brought it in, and I have a little uh, like a leather zip case that it came in, and I so I said, "I want to learn this," and so. I played it for her, and she goes, okay, great. She goes, put the guitar down, and then she went to a chalkboard and started writing down like scales and notes and stuff. And I was like, well, when do I play the guitar? And she goes, well, you're not going to play the guitar for a while. And I was like, huh? Like, okay. And so I went to the next week. And then by the third week, I was like, I was done. I fucking, I, I lied to my mom. I said I was still going to lessons because she paid for two months of lessons. <laughs> so I, but I went to the little panaderia where I can get pan dulce and get cho- hot chocolate oh, yeah. and stuff. So I sat there and waited for an hour and then I would just go home. <laughs> but uh, so then fast forward now, the guitar has been sitting in my house for like around six, eight months. And my brother picks it up. And just like me with drums, he just picked it up and he started playing chords. He knew, wow. he kind of figured out sounds and, and stuff like that. And so, so um, I, that, when I, now I'm playing drums. So my mom buys him an amp and gets me a little snare drum and a cymbal. And we start just having little jams in the house. And then from right there, you know, it doesn't take much. You guys, well, I don't know, I don't know if this happens anymore, but uh, kids walk by the house and mm-hmm. they're like, there's band, there's someone playing there. So they come and they knock on the door. Who plays instruments here? Oh, me and my brother play the guitar, I play drums. I can play the bass. Okay, well, come in and bring your, bring your stuff in. So it was literally just kind of like, uh, such an organic experience where within a, like from when I had my snare drum and he had his guitar within a month I think we had written one, or my brother had written one song we had a bass player and we were a band that's amazing yeah it, just, it happened that mm. fast honestly but that's the thing growing up then there were so many bands in the schools and that you, you had your choice of, of what bands you wanted to be in and then you, what you just described about your brother and you is like the Van Halen story. I mean, that was the same thing it, with Eddie I and I swear Alex. to God, and we had no idea that was the Van Halen story. We yeah, it's no crazy. Idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, you and I have talked in the past about drummers, and mm. you actually taught me a lot about Joey Kramer because yeah. 
there's two drummers for me that I, I love their bands, Roger Taylor and Joey Kramer. But I'm like, the drums aren't the strongest point. And you said, Joey Kramer, <laughs> that's your quote, Joey Kramer can do things that only Joey Kramer can do. And, and I listened with that prism and it was amazing. And you're right. There are things that are totally Joey Kramer. It's crazy. I mean, what are some of your favorite drummers that, that you grew up or current? You know, as a kid, I think for most of us, you know, because of the 70s, there was there wasn't a lot of uh, rock rock drummers. I mean, there was like prog rock, which was above my head. Like I couldn't I couldn't I liked Yes, but I couldn't understand the drumming from Yes. It seemed a little beyond my pay grade. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> but um, but Peter Chris to me, you know, when you first hear it, for those of you who know the song. <clears throat> um, do you love me? It's the most simple backbeat. It's boosh ga, boo boo ga, boosh ba, boo boo ga. And I'll tell you, I remember the first time when I learned that beat, I played that beat every day, all day long. Mm -hmm. it, it was just, I felt like I understood rhythm for the first time. And then, of course, when you learn a Van Halen song, an Alex Van Halen song is really difficult because if you learn it properly, it's like big band or jazz yeah. because there's a lot of inner workings on the hi-hat. There's a lot of grace notes on the snare drum. There's a lot of uh, um, activity that you really can't hear because you're listening to the main parts. So once I learned a real Van Halen song, <clears throat> excuse me, I have allergies, um, I really felt like I was starting to understand what drums was about. Yeah. And uh, so that was like my thing. And then, of course, once you become a big boy, you learn Led Zeppelin. That's really, I mean, I know it's really kind of sounds... That's leg day. Yeah, but it's really kind of... And, and what's, what kind of sucks is I feel bad for so many other drummers because I feel like John Bonham really dominates the drumming world. I feel like he... Um, you can't go anywhere and talk to any drummer without saying John Bonham. Yeah. You know, and I remember one night, and it's really crazy. I, one night I went out, this is years in the, in the 80s, with uh, Jason Bonham. We went to the Rainbow and we had dinner. And I remember... Like we had we had met one night at a party, and I got his phone number, and I said, "Dude, I said like I, I know I swear to God like a date." I said, "Can I, I take you out?" Um, and we went to the Rainbow, and I remember when right when we kind of sat down, my the first words I said were, "I I I swear to God," I go, "Your dad," and then I went on to talk about John Bonham. Yeah. And then literally, I I can't stress this enough how how fucked up this was. I mean, in in a way, I guess maybe not. I don't know, but every person that came to our table at the Rainbow, because that's what they did. They Everybody cruised the room and then like saw who was there and they talked to them. Every single person, and I mean, if, if 40 people came up to that table, the first words out of their mouth were, dude, your dad. Yeah. That was so, that was kind of, like it was like cool at one point. And I was like, fuck, dude, this guy has kind of like no identity. Like his dad is so important of what he did because half the things they said is what I said. I said, I kind of changed my whole trajectory of life because of your dad. Your dad was so amazing that it made me rethink how I do my job. And, and, and that's like, that's really kind of a crazy thinking. If you think about it, like somebody's so good at one thing, you go, I know I'm going to follow this dream that I have here. I want to do his dream. And that's, you know, kind of having a groove as a drummer, kind of having the authority of a drummer like John Bonham. It takes, it's not something that happens for most drummers. You know that. You know, I listen to some really great bands and their drummers. I always feel like, gosh, dude, I, I don't feel the integrity in your playing or I don't feel the emotions of your fucking drums, dude. I need to fucking feel that you're, that this is it. This is the moment you've been waiting all day to get on this fucking drum set and speak from your heart. And to me, I listen to John Bonham, and that's all I hear. Yeah. There's a man speaking from his heart when he plays drums. So, and that, again, like I said, it's so hard to explain to other people, like, how good John Bonham is. And then you get into, like, he wrote hooks on drums. Mm -hmm. I mean, goo, goo, gah, goo, 
you hear that any fucking place you go yeah what's up what's going on here you're like you know because something happened something cool just happened you know what I mean the Beastie Boys used that and it gave all of the identity to that song is that part that's that's the first song on License to Ill is the fucking Led Zeppelin yeah so you know again you know those guys are the shite those guys are the guys but you know, like the drummer from Accept, you know, was an amazing drummer. I mean, a lot of people don't realize that he did double bass, you know, before Slayer, before Metallica, before any of those guys, he was slamming double bass kick, like, fucking at the top speed that nobody was doing. Yeah, he was trying to be filthy, I think, from Motorhead, you know what I mean? But and even, fil- don't get me wrong, filthy is an animal. Filthy, that's <laughs> why he, they called him filthy animal. Yeah. But what this guy did is he did it with precision like, like a scalpel. What uh, a filthy was, he was punk rock. That yeah. guy was like the birth to me of punk rock drumming. There was nobody before him that did what he did the way he did it. Yeah. You know, uh, and that's the thing about these guys that are so epic is that when they did it, everybody changes what they do to be a motorhead, to be a Phil, to be, you know, um, uh, this this other kind of entity. And that's the thing that's, that's hard to find these days with musicians. It, it's a shame because there are some great drummers from back then that go unnoticed because of other things. Like you have a Barry Brandt from Angel. We talked Which, about that. Yeah, it's it's you know it's overshadowed by their image. Or you have right. uh, Cliff Davies from Ted Nugent, which is going to be overshadowed by Ted Nugent right. no matter what. But right. like him and Rod, Rob Grange and Ted Nugent, that rhythm section, they were insane. Dude, you could put those records on this very day and just be like you're you're literally transported back to in time. Yeah. And, and that's what great music does, or great film, great food, anything takes you like fuck. I remember this from back when I was a kid. Yeah. You know, but uh, but like and then there's the guys like you know like Terry Bozio. The first time yes. I saw Terry Bozio was in the early '80s, and I was giving I, I took four drum lessons from Terry Bozio's top student, and his name was Jim Volpe, and he was in a band. Getting back to the bands in L.A., he was in a band called Smile, which was considered to be the best band in LA at the time, like, you know, they were gonna, again, be the next big band. Yeah. And um, so I took lessons from Terry Bozio, and he said to me, he goes, you gotta see, you gotta go see Terry Bozio play, because he, um, Jim Volpe told me about Terry Bozio, you gotta go see Terry, because he does things that you just, you can't fathom. And sure enough, we went and saw Missing Persons at the, at the Palace in Hollywood in 1980, maybe two or 83. And, uh, and again, that changes you you know, forever. You, yeah. you just you don't feel the same. It's like because we saw Queen on 19, in 1970. We saw Queen, and when you see Freddie Mercury, it literally changes you. I yeah, don't know did. how. I don't know why. It just you feel special now. Now you like you walk a little taller. Now you fucking. Yeah. It's just I, I can't explain it. But Terry Bozier did that, and you know what? A lot of people don't want to give this shit up, dude, and it fucking pisses me off. But Tommy Lee <laughs> is so fucking important. That people don't even understand how fucking important he is because he he literally changed the, the the landscape of drumming in a way that hadn't ever been changed ever before. We were finally the focal point for the first time. We're always the back. We're always in the back. We're always in the back. We're, dude, Tommy Lee was like you went and saw Motley. You looked at Tommy Lee the whole fucking show, dude. I love Vince Neil and I love the rest of the guys, but dude, I watched Tommy and it wasn't because I was a drummer. It was because he was fucking magnetic. And when he played drums, you felt the drums, dude. And so he's another guy that really doesn't get a lot of props because, you know, 
it, he was out of an 80s band or something. It doesn't fucking matter. Well, I think he kind of made himself a caricature of himself. Well, over then, the years. Yeah, but, over the years. But, yeah. dude, I'm telling you, if you had seen him in, from 81 to, like, 85, 86, dude, it was, like, it was astronomical as far as what that guy, how he influenced drummers. I mean, there was no one out there like that doing that. Yeah, and I mean, it, it, it's... I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no it's crazy because, like, that stuff's, you know, and then at that time, even in the punk world, you have Chuck Biscuits with DOA yeah. and Black Flag. Like, there are so many great drummers. Spit but, Sticks was yeah, great, too. And there's just a lot of stuff that gets overshadowed over time because people know Bonham, they know yeah. Neil from Rush. Right. Peter Chris somehow makes that list. Peter Chris was great for the first, right? You know, couple. But, but, but what I'm saying about Peter is like when you're a little kid, like I said, it's yeah. really it's kind of hard to understand what Buddy Rich is talking about. You know, when you're a kid, you're first starting out. But the basic fundamental of gosh, gosh, dude, yeah, yeah, you know that makes sense to you. But yeah, like you know, and then to me, Buddy Rich is the greatest drummer of all time. You know, he did things in the 30s and 40s that drummers are right now trying to figure out. Yeah, that's how good he was. I, I think getting back to Bozio, the thing, what he could do in just a simple measure of music, the right. way he filled that was insane. Yeah. I was just recording this weekend in, in the desert, and we had the song, and we had drum fills at the beginning, right? Mm. And it started to sound too much like what Grohl did with Queens of the Stone Age. Right. So we were just joking around. We said, let's just throw in some Peter Chris licks for yeah. the fills. And we did. We did Shock Me, Strutter, and Love Detroit Rock it. City. And it sounds great, you know what I mean? Because <laughs> even though he was minimal at what he did, same thing. They had so much character at that right. stuff. Right, right, right. So I, I get why Peter Chris kind of changed the face of, of all of that stuff. Because yeah. there was a time where he was putting thought into it. Right. Um, okay, cool. So those are your guys. Like, who are your top three drummers? I would have to say, like I said, uh, I love uh, but, uh, Buddy Rich. Is just so he's just such a, a, a freak of nature. Uh, the, uh, out of that same generation is a drummer named Sonny Payne. For mm -hmm. those of you who don't know, he played with Duke Ellington, and he was also in that same like just a freak. That's just amazing drummer, uh, big band style. Um, and then of course, uh, I, I gotta say Alex Van Halen is definitely second. And then I'm sorry, it's, so it, it's a uh, Buddy John Bonham and Alex Van Halen. Okay, my top three. Van Halen's weird for me because like he'll have some tracks like "Hang 'Em High" and yeah. and "Out of Love Again," which are just mind blowing, stupid, crazy, yeah, stupid, crazy. The yeah. fills. and then there's sometimes he'll get like that break, which you can help explain to me, like in "Light Up the Skies." Like, wow, he could have done so much more in that spot. You know right. what I mean? Right. Don't want him to go crazy, but it's just kind of maybe it's Ted's fault. The the volume goes way down. <laughs> well, at the very end of the run, yeah, he brought the volume down so that they can have a bigger. Build uh, up, yeah, bigger build yeah. up for that. But um, if you ever, uh, I don't know if you ever saw on that tour, that was the intro to his drum solo. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so I think I, I don't know if, if that was just his way of saying I'm gonna do something little here. So when I do a live, when we're live, I'm gonna fucking break out, you know, the, the big dogs. Um, but yeah, you know, you mentioned out of love. That's one of the songs. If any drummers out there listening, and, and I want you to listen to the lead section of "Out of Love" and listen to what he does. He does a syncopated rhythm that is still this very day. I listen to it and go, "That is the fucking coolest thing mm -hmm. ever." It's like this odd tempo. He comes in like on the end of three or something, and it just and then I don't know how he does it. He ends up right back on the one exactly, but it sounds like he's not gonna make it. Yeah. And then he goes. It just sounds so fucking cool, and it's shit like that. Like I said, that comes from big band. All those guys, like you know, Mitch Mitchell, mm -hmm. you know, uh, even Carmine Apice, Those guys are all big band was a huge thing for these guys yeah. because there was no rock before these guys. Yeah. You know, they, we're talking late '60s. You know, uh, all they can listen to was Dave Clark Five or the Beatles or you know something that that came out during that. But dude, if you were and a, it was a, all backbeats. <clears throat> that's it. 
Yeah. You know, to get really dancey and get really sexy, Big Band was where you where you went to find all that information. And those guys, that's what they did. Yeah. They, they, especially uh, Mitch Mitchell. I mean, you know, like he talked about, like, it's so hard for drummers to stand out when the guitar player is so fucking good. Yeah. You know, Jimi Hendrix, I, for me, I, I know I've said, I've said a lot of people about this. I think... Jimi Hendrix is the greatest guitar player that ever touched the fucking guitar. That's just how I, that's what I, I've listened to him. I listen to Paige. I listen to Edward, Randy Rhodes, I, down the line, you know, uh, Al Miola, fucking Alan Holdsworth, you know, Ingve. I'm sorry. To me, still, when Jimi Hendrix plays, goes into a lead, I feel something happened to me personally. And, and that, I don't feel that with a, a lot of musicians. But his drummer was able to stand out, you know, again, on, on drum beats like Manic Depression. You learn yeah. Manic Depression on drums, dude, you're a fucking, you're, the, you're one of the guys now. Because yeah. I've seen a lot of drummers play and no one's ever got it right. That's why for me, like, you know, you have Ronnie Tut who played with Elvis. Yeah. Ronnie, Ronnie was the shit. Talk about double bass early. And yeah. he, he, he treated it like burlesque. He would watch Elvis and that's dude. where his beats would come from. And, but do you imagine standing out when Elvis is your front man? You know, and, and remember, Elvis rode those fuckers hard. He, yeah. he was... Especially he the he, rhythm section. Yeah, he did not play fuck around. It, it was like James Brown style. And, and mm -hmm. again, another guy, you know, uh, you, you had Clyde Stubblefeld from James Brown. You had those guys were fucking monster drummers. Yeah. And they were put through the fucking, the grinder, dude. I mean, if you didn't do your parts right, you had to go back to rehearse. And then you didn't leave until fucking they knew for sure you knew your parts. And that's like, uh, you know, again, I, I love rehearsal. You know, a lot of guys don't want to get in a rehearsal and bang it out, you know. I, I love getting there early, cleaning my drums up, tuning my drums up, fucking making shit sound right. And then finally starting the rehearsal then. You know, I think that's a lost art form with a lot of musicians these days. I mean, I'm not saying that. I don't know. <laughs> I don't hang out with a lot of young musicians, but I feel yeah. like that's lost. You know? Yeah. And I, I could be wrong. I don't know. No, you're right. I always tell people the one thing you'll miss when you finally, if you ever finally walk away from music, it's the practices and the Dude, rehearsals and the you writing. Know it, man. Show, shows are easy. Shows are like shows are fun. Yeah, you know, fun. And, and and that's for all of us. But the rehearsals for you. Yeah, it's for you to figure out. You know, what are you doing? Are you doing what you want to do? Mm -hmm. Are you doing the best? You know, the, are, are you really playing your fucking best? Or are you phoning that shit in? Yeah, because I've I've been in rehearsals with other musicians. And I'll look at somebody and go, dude, do you want to go home? Are you done for the day? Because, dude, you're fucking asleep over there. And if and if I and I feed off of energy, and if you're fucking asleep, then I'm gonna fall asleep. Yeah. So I need people to fucking raise their bar. You know, anytime we play together. All right. So so you go from that, and now we're moving into. What was your first band? Was it Bullet Boys or? No, actually, me and my brother. So we finally put a real deal band together called. Uh, well, we were, first we were called Wild Rose. My mom named us. It was so Aww. cute. That is sweet. Wild <laughs> Rose. Was her name Rose? No. Oh, that would have been the <laughs> best story ever. Mom. Her name is Marta, so we should have been called Wild, Wild Marta. Marta. Yes. <laughs> that doesn't have. I'm same, copywriting that. Doesn't have the same, <laughs> the same ring. No. But uh, so we ended up. Uh, we got Wild Rose for a minute, and then we became. Um, Deanda, because our last name, because we were, we wanted to be Van Halen, so we were yeah. Deanda. Our That's last a good family. name, though. It's it, you know, it's, it's it works. And then uh, after that, uh, the, like I said, the singer from Bola Boys, we were good friends with them when we were kids, and uh, he had just left the band. Uh, the band Angel had disbanded, and they became Nasty Habit. Mm -hmm. And Mark was the guitar player for Angel. That band then disbanded, and then he told me, he goes, Jimmy, he goes, just use the name Nasty Habit. No one's using it. I was like, fuck yeah. So we became Nasty Habit in 1984, and we were a band for a, a while. Uh, me and my brother had a, a difference of opinion on who was in charge of writing songs. Okay. Who was in that band real quick? 
No, just me and my brother oh, okay. and, and local friends. Okay. Uh, one of my best friends, Mondo Diaz, was in there. But um, and then so uh, we got in a fight. Me and my brother got in a, a huge fight, and uh, and I left the band and started my own band called Fat Cat. And uh, and it was going to be, and, and it was a, kind of a working title name. But honestly, you guys, in 1987, I had the idea because I I was hardcore into hip hop, and I love your Run DMC uh, picture right here. But uh, in 1984. I heard uh, "Shut Up" from Run DMC. You, you talk too yeah, much. Yeah. And um, in 1984, and I remember I fucking loved. I mean, to me, it was like the first time I heard Van Halen. It gave me that that feeling like, fuck, this is really fucking cool. And uh, and then forget about it. And then, like the next year, no, no, uh, 86, I heard the Beastie Boys, and it was the. Um, uh, Polly walks too, and and it was punk. But I remember I, I I liked it, and then literally the next year they put out they started rapping, and I was like, yeah, wait a minute, people can change, people can go from fucking one side to the other. I'm like, huh, okay. So I wanted I had a band that a guitar player was more like Van Halen guitar, but I was looking for a rapper to sing over that, and that was in 1987. That was a few years before Rage, and uh, and I remember I just couldn't find the right guy to fucking rap. I just I had a couple of guys that came in, they sang it, I'm like, it's not, the singing isn't what this song needs. It needs a guy who could fucking rap, like Run DMC, yeah. like Beastie Boys, and uh, and then in the in the interim of waiting for like the right guy, because we can all wait way too long for the right fucking guy or whatever, um, then my the singer from Bullet Boys called me, they had just left, they were all, in the, the three members from Bullet Boys were in a band called King Cobra, which is Carmine of Pieces band. Was it that band or was it just the same name? It, it was Carmine, yeah, it was okay. that band. So it was the bass player and the singer had replaced the original members, but the, the guitar player from Bullet Boys was the original guitar player for King Cobra. Okay. And so I got a, a call from him saying, dude, I want you to come play drums for, for me in, in this new band called Bullet Boys. And uh, at the time I was like, I, dude, I got something hot. I got something really hot, and, and I, I don't think so. And he goes, okay. So they end up getting this other drummer to fill in for them. Or not fill in, but they got another drummer. And then so they were a band for about, I want to say, six months, seven months. And then I went and saw them play at the Waters Club in, um, what the fuck's the Waters Club? I don't know where the Waters Club is. The Waters is. Club. I, I, it's, it's an epic club. Um, so I went to see them play, and li literally, you guys, I'm, I'm backstage. I go to say hi to the guys, and uh, <laughs> I walk into a, a, a fight. Like it, like shit's getting hot. Oh, like, wow. I, I, yeah. And then fucking the bass players like like shove the drummer and fuck you, motherfucker. And then it's like I'm like, oh shit, should I leave? And then I'm standing there, and then the bass player looks over to me and he goes, Jimmy. He goes, you're in the band, bro. Fuck this guy, he's out. And I was like, oh, <laughs> oh shit. Like, oh fuck. <laughs> you know, I'm like, I go, I'll be outside. I'll wait for you guys outside. And then literally, like the next day, I get a call because they had a guy that was managing them. Um, and ended up being still who's my manager, like who helps me with so many things today, um, Dave Kaplan. I get a call mm -hmm. from him and Dave, and who manages Brian Setzer now and works with fucking uh, mm -hmm. Dave Edmonds. Is that the Eurythmics guitar player? No, Dave Stewart. Dave Stewart, excuse me. Uh, he does things. With, I mean, he's like he's a big dog now. Anyways, but he calls me and says, "Jimmy, do you want to be in Bullet Boys?" And I said, "No, Dave, I don't." <laughs> and he goes, "Okay." And then he hangs up the phone and calls back and he goes, "Jimmy, would." what would it take to get you to be in Bullet Boys? And I go, honestly, Dave, I go, I don't think anything. And he goes, how would you like free drums and free cymbals? I go, I'm in. <laughs> I was so, dude, I was so fucking, dude, I'm 19 years old at the time. I'm, yeah. I'm 19, you know, I'm getting free, free fucking drums. So uh, I, I go down to the rehearsal. We do like, um, I think we did Hard as a Rock and, and no, 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 I'm sorry, we did, uh, Let's up and Misty Mountain Hop. Okay, and uh, and right there, everyone stops, and looks at me, and they go, "You're the guy." And I'm like, "Okay, cool." So that's when I joined the band right there. 
Cool. Dale, what do you think about that story? <laughs> it's fantastic because six six performances later, they're signed. You know, that's something that a lot of people, I remember that it was such a weird thing because I didn't even realize that that was a, like, like a, a, a thing at the time. It but now you do. Well, fuck, are you kidding me now? <laughs> <laughs> I've been in like like five of the band since and, tried, yeah. and did like, you know, so many like... Uh, 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 what is it? Uh, showcases? Mm-hmm. Fucking nothing. They didn't give two shits about us. But yeah, we did uh, six shows in LA, and um, and then there we were. We were showcasing for CBS. We showcased for uh, I think Geffen and Warner Brothers. And literally, it was just such a crazy like to get a phone call from our manager going, uh, "Somebody from Warner Brothers is coming down." Oh no! Here, here was a tough one. Uh, CBS. We did a thing for them. Okay, and and we we're like, "Oh my god, we're getting signed to CBS. It's going to be fucking great." And then, uh, and, uh, and there's a, there's a follow up story to this too, so uh, we go and we cut a demo, and they pay for it, and then uh, we're like, "Fuck, it's on, it's fucking on, you guys!" But you know, there's an old thing: don't ever talk about it. You know, when you're about to get signed, you never talk about it. It's fucking jinx it. So no one's saying shit. And then they call us up and they go, "We we like the demo, but there's another band that's out there that we're we're gonna go with. They're called Warrant." And I was like, "Oh, you motherfucker, Warrant!" Okay, because we knew we knew the guys, yeah. so. Now, uh, now we're sitting there picking our nose like, fuck, we didn't know what to do. You know, Dave's like, you guys, don't worry. This is still early in the game. But we'd put all our eggs in that basket. We thought that that was it then. Yeah. So then he calls and says, um, Warner Brothers, you guys are, are doing Warner Brothers on Thursday. So we go, okay, fuck, this is going to be great. So we go, and it's a woman that comes down. Where was it? Was it your rehearsal? Yeah, it was a rehearsal room that we had in, uh, we, we dubbed it the piss room because it was next to train tracks where homeless people live and they pissed on our wall and it oh, literally shit. seeped, the smell seeped through our wall oh, so you could no. smell piss in our, Good in spot our room. Good for showcase. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's, it's a true story. Um, and it, so the woman that comes down, her name is Roberta Peterson. And Roberta Peterson, I'm such a knucklehead because at the time no one really knows, but she, dude, she is one of the biggest dogs yeah, in legend. the industry. At legend. legend, and um, she comes down and she and she literally she goes, well, I I think you guys are great, I think you guys are really good, I don't think you're for me, but my brother might like you, okay. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking, well, fuck, her brother's a fan, all right, I'm I'm down with that, and she goes, I'm gonna have him come down next week, so all right. Her brother's Ted Templeman, who produced Van Halen, Doobie Brothers, Montrose, Aerosmith, fucking blah, 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 down the fucking line. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) So then Ted fucking shows up in this fucking, this this, uh, uh, Rolls Royce to the, the piss room. Yeah, <laughs> with the homeless people That's standing nice. around the back of it. Ted Templeman gets out with his driver, and we and and we found out that it was Templeman uh, that morning. We were at rehearsal, and we got a phone call uh, to the actually. It, here's here's how crazy because times are. The manager couldn't call us because nobody has cell phones. Nobody has. There's no access to them. He calls the 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 rehearsal number and says, "This is an emergency. Can you please call me back?" They call him back. They go. You need to go to the room 405 and fucking tell the guys that. Somebody call back right now. So we call back, and they, Dave Kaplan says, it's Ted Templeman. You guys need to fucking blow the fucking doors off. You guys need to fucking bleed out of your eyes for this thing. This is it. This is, you know, and Dave's like, remember how you guys were saying that was it the other day? No, this is it. Yeah. I want you guys to fucking kill that motherfucker. Dude, seriously, we played for our lives. I, I shit you the fuck down. I was doing stuff during the Ted Templeman fucking audition that I've never done before or since. <laughs> wow. I'm, I'm not lying, God. you guys. I was playing like my life depended on it. I, I shit you the fuck not. And we and thank God we played seven songs, okay? And then and he said, here's what was like really weird, but this is big time. This is big rock right here. He goes, so when I've heard enough of a song, 
I'm going to raise my hand, go to the next song. No pressure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so we're fucking, we're flying around like fucking acrobats, fucking, ah, you know, yeah. the whole thing. And then we're, we finish a chorus and he goes, and the hand comes up. We're like, holy shit. He's like, falls <laughs> apart. Like, okay. Next, next song. Okay, next song. So we, I go, one, two. And we start playing. Fucking same difference. After the next hand goes up. Okay. So finally we get to song seven. And thank God he stops us. And we don't, we don't have any more songs. We're out of songs. And he goes, come down. Because we, uh, we built a drum riser for me in there to make it look like we were special. And, uh, <laughs> or you were special. I, I was special. <laughs> so, <laughs> so we come down. And he, sits, he goes, sit down. And we sit on the floor in front of him. And he goes... Here's why you guys should sign to Warner Brothers. Dude, I swear to oh you, we're like, God, fuck it, get us the contract dude, right. right now. Fuck that. <laughs> we're in, dude. And literally right there, literally right there, signed us on the spot. That wow. so good. Dude, I, seriously, it's like, um, it's imagine your dreams and then make it literal. That's yeah. That, that's what it is. And it's the fucking guy that did Van Halen. I was going to say, and that's, by that guy. Dude, that's, yeah. I've looked at the back of every Van Halen record my whole fucking life, and it says right there, produced by Ted Templeman. Mm -hmm. Dude, that was like, you know, that was such a gnarly, gnarly experience, man. Yeah, I mean, back then, you had like Ezrin, you had Roy Thomas Baker, like all these names. You had about five or six. And t Ted was definitely one of those yeah. guys. Eddie yeah. Kramer, for me, would, would have been one of those guys. Absolutely. And Jack Ed Douglas, because of Cheap Trick. Absolutely. But yeah, Ted is, wow. Yeah, and uh, so now, uh, uh, real quick, now fast forward to day one in the studio. Th this is going to be in my book right here. So um, I, I, we're in one-on-one -on -one studios, and you guys all know one-on-one -on -one because Metallica did the Black album there, so that live video of Nothing Else Matters, that's one-on-one -on -one studio. So we did every Bullet Boys record in that place. So, um, you know, I'm treated like a king. They literally bring in, like, five drum sets, 30 snare drums, you know, dude, it's like, it's a fucking, it's, it's heaven for me. And I'm, we're, we're literally spending a week just getting snare drum, tom, tom, bass drum, floor tom sounds. That's all we're doing. Okay. So finally we get, you know, what he likes and what the, the tones that he's digging. So I'm like, I don't know fucking, you're the guy, you tell me what to play. I'll play it. And it's a mix, a mix, a mix, mismatch of drums, like a Gretsch, a DW, a hmm. Ludwig, a Tama. It's like, but they're the best of that family. So. We start the first day, and uh, uh, the song is called Kiss and Kitty. It's, the, it's uh, on side two, if you will, on the record. It's the first song on side two. And, I st and so, Ted, you know, okay, rolling. Okay? And I count it off, and I start playing the drums. And then I get about fucking maybe about three bars in, and then... Now, for those of you who've never been into a studio before, when somebody, or the producer hits a talk back button, it mutes every sound that you hear except for his voice. It's the voice so, of God. So it sounds like Jesus. Okay, yeah. it sounds like God. <laughs> voice so, like that. That just happened. Yeah, it sounds like that. Exactly. <laughs> it's that feeling. <laughs> so then uh, I'm actually, you know, I, I, I'm. There may be a fire. I'm so <laughs> I hope not. <laughs> no, it's all good. So I, I literally, I kind of, I'm, I'm standing there. Like and I'm looking at him in the in the big mirror, uh, the big window. Excuse me, and I'm mm -hmm. looking at Ted. Like you know, and he goes, "Hold on, hold on." And then he goes, uh, "Okay." And he goes, we're, "We're gonna go again." Okay, cool. So I do the same process again. I count it off. I start, and it starts with the drums. It's a drum beat, and it's kind of like the Kiss fucking do, do, okay, yeah. But it's it's just changed up a little bit. So I start it again, okay. And this time I get less down the road, and he he hits the talk back. Hold on, you guys. And then I look at him, and then he says the words to me. He goes, Jimmy, he goes, uh, you feeling okay out there? And I'm like, I'm looking, I go, yeah. 
am I? I hope. Am I? I go, I think I am. And he goes, okay. He goes, hold on. He goes, let's do one more. Now we're on the third pass. And I do the same thing. And, he, dude, I get maybe a bar in at the most. And his tie back. And then the, then, and then the, the, the dreadful discussion between him and the engineer, because you can't hear shit. Yeah, yeah. You could just you see, see him. You, you see could him just talking. see Miles moving. Yeah, the worst. And, I, and now I feel like I'm going to throw up and poop at the same time. <laughs> I'm like, they're going to fucking replace me. They're going to bring in a fucking Kenny Aaron off, and they're going to fucking replace me. And Kenny's one of my best friends now, so I can say that. So I fucking sit in there, and then he says, he hits the talk back, and he goes, uh, hey, you guys, to the band, can you guys give uh, me and Jimmy 10? You guys, honestly, I'm like freaking out. I'm literally like I'm sweating. And then he walks out to the um, to the the big room, and he he pulls up a th there's a piano that's right behind me, and he pulls up the what is it the chair for the piano? Store. Yeah, he pulls it up, sits next to me, and um, he uh, he says, uh, "Hold on a second. And he turns to one of the second engineers. He goes, "Hey, he goes, do me a favor. Can you go get a six pack of Heineken?" And the guy goes and he, and he runs out, and he and, and Ted comes up, and he goes. Um, so Jimmy goes, um, how you, you, you how you feeling? I said I'm okay, and he goes, okay, and he goes, uh, um, where are you from? And I said I'm from Boyle Heights, and he goes, Boyle Heights, go, oh, dude, yeah, and, he, and then uh, he, he says, you know, I, I got family over here and family, and we just start talking, start talking, and I don't know what's going on still. I'm just like still, and then I go, I go, Ted, he goes, everything okay, and he goes, he goes, yeah, everything's fine. I go, okay. So he brings the beers come out, pop the beer, and he goes, you want a beer? And I'm of course, Ted Templeton asks, you want a beer? You fucking have a beer. I don't, I don't care. It's fucking 11 a.m. You have a beer. And uh, so I had the beer, and we talked, and then uh, we, about 10 minutes, literally, and then he goes, okay. He goes, how do you feel? And I go, I feel good, Teddy. And he goes, all right, cool. He goes, let's do this. And we go, and he goes back in, hits a recording, rolling, and we do the song in out. It's the song you hear. On, on, it's the drums. It's the song you hear on the record right now. Is that take right there? Yeah. So I asked him later on what that was about, and he goes, "Jimmy, he goes, you were so nervous that your pocket was out the window. Mm. You were you were playing too fast." He goes, "I can tell." He goes, "I saw you play before. I know what you're capable of." He goes, "You played so." He goes, "It wasn't you." He goes, "You were nervous because I am who I am, and I wanted to to." Uh, uh, to, to even out so that you didn't look at me like I'm this god in this room here. I oh. wanted you to feel like we were friends and calm you down, and that's what it did. It calmed you down, and that's why you played that pocket so good on that song. Yeah. So I learned you know, a valuable lesson that day uh, on multiple levels about recording, about working with musicians, about understanding that you're getting a performance. That's what you're shooting for. Mm -hmm. you, know, you want the parts. You want them to play the proper parts, but you're looking for a performance, and that's what he got out of me that day. And it was just such an amazing experience to know that, that that's how that, the, the big dogs work. They understand when they see people out there and they realize that, okay, this is probably overwhelming for this kid. He's 19 years old. Yeah. You know, he's looking at the guy who did all the Van Halen records, and he's probably freaking the fuck out out there. And I was. Yeah. So it was just for me. It was just a great experience because after that we became really, really close. And I still, to this day, I still talk to Teddy. And I think I'm the only one in the band that still talks to him. Really? Yeah. Why do you think that? You know, when I hear his name, to me, and it's because of Van Halen. It's synonymous. That was a hard word today. Synonymous. It's synonymous. Thank you. Synonymous. Thank you, Jimmy. Yes. <laughs> with <laughs> I've done it too. With the Sunset Sound, like yeah. That's why I would assume you guys would have recorded. Why the. I think uh, he went to one on one because it was closer to Warner Brothers. And I remember that because oh, he had, because okay. remember, he at the time he was senior vice president of AR at the time. Yeah. yeah. So he'd move up the ranks quite a bit. Okay. Yeah. But uh, I remember, I'll never forget, I said to him, Ted, can you get me Alex Van Halen's snare drum sound on, um, on Bullet Boy's record? And he goes, No. 
He goes, that's Alex Van Halen's sound. He goes, we need to find the Jimmy DeAnda sound. I was like, oh, that's cool. I'll take that. (laughs) Yeah. That's great. Yeah. All right. Yeah, how long, uh, where was your first tour after that album? What would you... You ready for this? Yeah. Dude, seriously, this was such a nutty experience. If you want to fucking like learn, you learn it from guys like this. It was Bolo Boys opening up for Ian Hunter and Mick Ronson. No way. Okay? <laughs> no and, way. And we played like like restaurants and shit. It, it was just so nutty. Cool. Oh, restaurants? Yeah. yeah, we played like restaurants and we played like small venues and stuff. But it was, I want to say uh, it was a, a, a month run. Uh, but uh, I mean, these are the guys, for those of you who don't know, um, Ian Hunter is from Mata Hoople and wrote all the songs. And Mick Ronson played guitar for David Bowie and all the songs that you grew up loving, you know, Young Americans mm-hmm. and, and such. But, um, but the, and that, those are the songs that they, they played. They played those songs. <laughs> And my son just walked in because he's a little shit. <laughs> you know, there's a there's a, a great. I talked about this I think a couple weeks ago where Ronson played on the original version of Madman Across the Water. Yeah, with Elton John, and it's. I mean, I love Davy Johnstone, but this version. It's, is, it's you know, uh, and again, just those hits those notes. But those, like you said, we talked about. Those are the guys that kind of created our whole fucking world where we're living in. Yeah, you know, the, that's the music that we put on to this day, and we remember. Oh, that's right. I should be better. I should be working harder at my fucking craft here. Yeah. And I still did. I'm telling you, I'll still put on music from where I grew up and I'll still go, I haven't reached the place I need to be at as yeah. a songwriter, as a musician, as a drummer, as anything in, in my community. So um, I'm just, uh, again, still trying to have one song that did what fucking Elton John did or one song. I mean, it'll never happen, but if I can get close, I'll be, I'll be a happy person. Yeah, and but those are different times. I mean, you right. see bands today and there's so much track going on and I would go see Queen, and it's four guys, right? And it sounds amazing. You right. know what I mean? Like, right. and they would hit all of those marks, and the, like, they could pull off somebody to love live with four guys. Yeah, no tapes. Yeah, you know, it's, it's unbelievable. Yeah. So, who's this? My, my son, <laughs> my son Max Deanda just walked in the room. Hi, Max. Max, what are you doing here? <laughs> I don't know. I just, I just walked in. <laughs> I got lost earlier. <laughs> you were walking the streets, yeah. and Good then you said, "I wonder what's in this building here." <laughs> <laughs> behind door number eight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> door number eight. Literally, exactly. literally. So right now we're talking. We're just getting to the point of your dad's career where he, he joins Bullet Boys to do the first album with Ted. Um, we're gonna get to you in a minute or a couple of minutes. <laughs> uh, I, there's a lot about this that that I never knew. Right. I mean, you and I come from the same world, but totally different sides of the world. Yeah. So I'm learning a lot today, and I appreciate that. And what's nice is you and I have had dinner on multiple occasions where we've t- kind of talked about some of this stuff, yeah. but it's nice to do it in this where we're just really kind of, we can just geek the fuck out. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Yeah. So so Bullet Boys, your first tours with, with Ian Hunter and Mick Ronson, yeah. and to you, you're probably thinking, that's as big as it's going to get. Like, how am I sharing a backstage with Ian Hunter? <laughs> the backstage, I think you mean the uh, kitchen. The, yeah, the kitchen, because <laughs> that's what we were playing. But uh, yeah, I mean, that was still like, you know, we were still learning. We were still out there. We're all piss and vinegar. We, we didn't we didn't really understand a lot of stuff. I mean, the guys probably did. I mean, I really didn't. But uh, we're, we're finishing that tour. And then we get a phone call from our manager and says, you guys need to literally leave the venue you're at as soon as you're done playing and fucking start driving like 27 hours to go play with Cheap Trick. Oh, there you go. In a fucking in a sold out in sold out arenas. Yeah. And uh, and dude, we're all in a, we're in a Winnebago. Uh, here's this is the, I can't make this shit up, you guys. The um, 
the floorboard where the gas pedal was on the Winnebago had a hole in it, and we were all in the in the southwest at the time, but we had to drive now to uh, Green Bay, and it's during it's January, okay, and uh, the the techs all had to take turns bringing a, a hot towel to put over the driver's foot. Because the air was was giving them fucking uh, frostbite. Frostbite, yeah, yeah. So literally, they were taking uh, throughout the whole night. They were fucking changing this, put this hot towel around him, and then when he was done, he couldn't do it. When the techs would fucking come over, he would jump in the seat. They'd put a hot towel around him, and literally, so we could get there in time. And we got there during a fucking uh, 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 snow, a, a blizzard. And um, so 87, 80, no, no, this is this is January of 89. Okay, so Cheap Trick's already back to arenas because of lap of luxury, because of lap of luxury. And that was their fucking comeback record that we were all and and, uh, dude, I mean, come on. I mean, again, like I said, I grew up on Van Halen and Cheap Trick and Kiss. But Carlos and and dude, and and here it is, dude. I'm on I'm at Soundcheck and fucking I can see Rick Nielsen walking around. Yeah, I can see Bunny Carlos walking around, you know, and uh, and so this is this is something that I still every now and again I think you know when I do my book I just I'm gonna laugh to myself. I had ordered a uh, I was with Pearl Drums at the time. I ordered because Tommy Lee had this fucking deep ass motherfucking snare drum, and I wanted one deeper than his. I want to be bigger than him. In all aspects. Drum wise. In, in all in all aspects. <laughs> all as aspects. much as you can. Everything. <laughs> Whatever help I I can get my hands on. Fuck Sorry, it. Jimmy. So <laughs> so I uh, I order literally, you guys, a fucking fourteen deep snare drum. It's fucking it's stupid. Shit, it's, crazy. it's now the because I'm a drummer and I'm and I'm not that smart, I didn't realize that you can't have a regular snare stand for this. Because it sits this high. Yeah. I'm pointing to my face, you guys. So it sits, it sits this fucking high. You can't fucking, it's like, but, so I have my drum tech, Cooch. He cuts the snare stand as much as he can. So now it's probably about almost my chest. And then Bunny Carlos happens to walk behind, because I have a drum riser, and he walks behind me. He's standing behind me. And then he taps me on my waist, because I'm on a drum riser. And then he goes, and he's smoking a cigarette. Can you play that thing? And I go, oh, fuck yeah. I had never touched it. I go to do a drum roll and I hit all rim because it's too high and my sticks fly out of my hand and I'm like, fuck it, because you're good. And I look around like, oh, shit. He's right there behind me looking at me and I turn back to look at him and he's walking away just smoking coming out of his face. Like, oh my God. Literally, I just embarrassed myself. So, but... We ended up becoming friends, and, I, and for those of you who don't know, back then, Bunny Carlos had his own fan club. Cheap Trick mm-hmm. had a fan club, and Bunny Carlos had it. So literally, the, the Bunny Carlos fan club met at a different part of the building. So literally, they would just be people in there screaming for Bunny, but the rest of them had their own fan club. So I went with Bunny to his and hung out with them and became friends with them for a little bit. But dude, He's a moody guy, that guy. Yeah, well, you know, he smoked a lot back then. Yeah. You know, he, dude, that guy literally smoked like three or four cigarettes per song during while he played. He had ashtrays right here when he played. You know, and I remember, uh, uh, I think his tech was Kevin. He would do, he just kept lighting them up yeah. and put them out there every time. So yeah, that, I think that that's not healthy. Rick once told me that they want to change the name to Three Men and a Baby. <laughs> <laughs> Bunny's pretty moody guy. Yeah. yeah. But I miss him. I, I really wish they could work it out. But you know what? And, and like I said, you know, I, I, I'm back with Bullet Boys for the first time and it just, that, it takes years to, uh, took years <clears throat> to get here. So you understand what, what oh, goes no, no, no. through the Believe whole me, thing. I've always understood that, and, and I tried to explain this to a person the other day. I said, dude, that's like me saying to you, look, Remember your ex-girlfriend that you were with that she, she cheated on you and she banged all your boy, you know, all your fucking bros and shit? I liked Keelan. her better with you. Can you go back with her now? 
You know, that's kind of like what that is. And it's just like, yeah. you, you can't just make people fucking be, yeah. you know, together in that sense until they're ready for it. What's more surprising that you rejoin the Bullet Boys or Roth went to Van Halen or Ace and Peter were back in Kiss? Uh, well, I, I don't know because I, I don't know the inner workings. I know the inner workings with Roth and the Van Halen because I remember we were there when when Dave had put out the uh, the, the records when you know, on his own. We were yeah. at Warner Bros during that time period, and I always felt bad because Dave didn't uh, Dave didn't leave the band. Dave was kicked out of the band, and there, people always think that it's it was Dave that fucked us. You know, Dave. I felt bad for all the guys because Ed was going through a bad depression because his dad passed away, mm-hmm. and he didn't want to work for a while. And Dave was like, he's a worker, but Dave Roth is a fucking worker, and he waited around as long as he. Could. Could. And then at one point he's like, you know, what? I gotta go to work, and he went to work. And then the guys are like, well, fuck you, because he had a fucking se- he had uh, uh, what was the, what was the EP he put out? Uh, something from the Heat. Um, yeah, crazy, crazy from the Heat. Crazy yeah. The- yeah. Dude, that thing sold three million albums. Yeah, because people wanted Van Halen. Dude, but <laughs> Van Halen the in 1984 record that they just had sold four million. No, I know, yeah. I know, so but it was, was it was the perfect follow up. Absolutely. So it, surprisingly, even though they're selling out arenas for four years, yeah. People are just discovering them because of Jump, and then the next product that comes out is yeah. David Lee Roth thing. That's yeah. where the band gets mad. Yeah, you know what I mean. Well, no, I mean, but again, you have to understand. He would call Ed and say, "Ed, I get that you're fucking. I'm bummed too, but yeah. give me a time. Give me a time frame. Let me know. Is it in five years? Is it in fucking eight months? When is it?" And Ed wouldn't give him any time frame, and that was where Dave was like, "Well, I got to fucking work." And that's when, and and he knew that too. That, it, that out of sight, out of mind. Yeah, you know, you can't be gone too long from this industry. That people will forget about you and move on to the fucking next band. Well, man, like Cheap Trick and Kiss would put out two albums a year in the Dude, 70s. It was just uh, non-stop. Remember, most bands did that yeah. in the 60s and 70s. They had, they had material. They wrote. They did their fucking jobs impeccably, man. Yeah. So we're going to kind of skip over here to yeah. Max coming yeah, yeah, in. Yeah, yeah, So Max, do you play drums at all? Uh, I do a little bit. Okay. Um, not so much anymore, unfortunately, because as a touring musician, times are kind of tough. Yeah. Um, as there are no tours. But um, yeah, since I was very young, I've been playing drums with the help of... Jimmy over here. Um, <laughs> you can call me dad. It's yeah, all right. <laughs> da- daddy. Embarrassing well, that. You I can't don't know about say that. that. That's, yeah, that's, that's like, weird. Daddy. <laughs> that's too far. Um, but yeah, so I have I've been playing drums since I was really young, and I also picked up guitar um, when I was about fourteen or fifteen. Okay. And um, I uh, I studied jazz for a long time after I had done the whole Van Halen, ACDC, and punk scene randy Rhodes. yeah i found randy okay. Rhodes and i picked up guitar and um that's what i was gonna ask like the influences yeah. have come from your dad and your yeah, mom and pretty much yeah. every single influence in my life has come well from the early dad. ones for sure the early ones were definitely like we All were the good like, ones yeah, yeah we would show them like i mean i remember the first time we brought home uh, lorraine uh, my wife she was at the time at um at emi and she brought a demo home of slipknot mm-hmm. and and we, we were fucking like holy crap this is the, the this is the shit right here yeah. and i mean so he learned slipknot as a as a kid he would learn that stuff when he was you know 10 11 years old he was learning how to play slipknot uh on drums and uh and, t- and that to me is where like i said you know when you we finally got a fucking great band that we could all get involved with we took him to see fucking slipknot at the fr- you know early on on the early early shows and it, yeah. it was tough because you know fucking that shit was gnarly people mm-hmm. were yeah. fucking getting kicked in the face you know jumping out you know you know but mm-hmm. um but i just yeah. remember seeing a lot of naked girls and yeah. like, i know i shouldn't be here but I'm not <laughs> <laughs> no no one of the greatest we went to see uh, i think it was kiss ted nugent and uh, skid row, skid row. Yeah. and then so max is <laughs> so it's 
really young for this. So uh, it's me, and then it's uh, my my wife, and then Max is right here. And then you, we all know we've all been at concerts. You know, somebody starts passing around a joint, and then oh, yeah. it, it, it get it gets to Max, and then Max he has the joint in his head. He looks at me like like, like yeah, do I do it? Like, what are you? So the first time I was passed a joint, it was at a Kiss show too. I think it was seventy six or seventy or whatever. And I didn't know what, I didn't know what it was, so I just offered the guy my Twizzlers. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, oh, is that? Is that? You know what I mean? It's a barter system. Yeah. yeah. Like, I don't know. What it's it is. rating. All right, that's cool. So I can see by the tattoo on your neck. Then yeah. you got the <laughs> yeah. A big influence on um, me. That's great. And. A lot of kids your generation, I think the Rev was the guy, right? Oh, from Avenged, yeah. like that was the guy. I mean, now that Brooks, who's insane yeah. too, but yeah. 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 So I think Joey and and um, the Rev were the guys. I think absolutely. absolutely. You know what? And uh, uh, and Travis Barker too. I mean, Travis? you know, I I. I, I it was weird for me because I, I didn't like feel like Travis. He didn't speak to me personally on drums, like because I came. But I come from a different era, so I, that's not important. Yeah. But he spoke to Max, and that's that made me happy because Max dug it, and and he's a great drummer, and yeah. that's something that you know again that, that we don't get a lot of great drummers, and he was one of the guys that stood out at the time period. Yeah, yeah, he's solid. I mean, that's the thing. It's like you know some of the bigger bands. Like I don't think anyone picked up the drums uh, because of My Chemical Romance and Bob Breyer. Exactly. But there are some of those guys. So. And, and yeah. Travis is definitely one of those guys. Yeah. yeah. Who else? He had the, the vibe and the aesthetic more than anything. Yeah. It's always branding, you know. But yeah. He just looks super cool and right. He was like fully tabbed before a lot of guys were. I think and that was a big a big thing. Yeah. The, the, it was kind of hard for me because not hard, but it was cool for me because having my dad around, I was able to have such. Um, important influences like John Bonham and even Peter Chris and there's just so many drummers from those times that I just kind of really connected with so it was a little harder for me to connect with like um, drummers from like early 2000s mm -hmm. even though I love the bands it's just different because I was it was a different feel but um, I'm trying to think who else like well a little I, bit later. I, I will never forget this is this is one of my uh, uh, on my deathbed I will think of this and laugh and be so happy about this so my son was probably around 12 to 11 12 when the, uh, the the Queens of the Stone Age record songs mm -hmm. for the deaf came out and there's a there's a drum part for those of you who know in the song actual it's called songs for the deaf and it's a drum kind of solo at the beginning okay yeah and I remember I I taught my son the part and it's dude, it's fucking Dave Grohl. I mean, that's to me, that's probably the best Dave Grohl drum record ever. Is that yeah. songs yeah. for the deaf record? Dave Grohl played the fucking. He's just it's brilliant. It's like Neil Peart, but it's John Bonham. It's a fucking. It's just like smartest record. So anyway, so Max learned it. Okay, so then there's a drum. Uh, there's a, a a battle of the bands at Max's school. Okay, and it's after school. And then this fucking band pulls up and they're fucking ringers. They're not from like uh, like one kid's from the school, but it's all fucking like grown. My, my age now. Like they were Yeah, these, okay. these guys are in their fucking twenties, okay? Yeah. And I looked over and I'm like, look at what the fuck? This is supposed to be battle of the band for the kids in the school. You know, like I said, Max is like eleven years old, okay? Mm -hmm. So then the guy, <laughs> the man and in, in, in the fucking in the ringer band, he does a little drum solo. And then I walk over to Max after he's done, and I go, Max, I go. Play that Queen's the Stoney song for the death. I whisper in his ear. <laughs> he goes over and he fucking throws it down. That goes goose goose goodbye. He does the whole fucking thing and nails <laughs> it, dude. Amazing. Everybody fucking. He stops playing. Everyone starts screaming, and then the, the, the kid goes to the man drummer. Dude, that kid just blew you away. <laughs> <laughs> the man drummer. The man. Yeah. Dude, we laughed our asses off. Man. It was. I was lucky enough to be with Queens during that whole period. I remember we talked Th about those that. three albums, those first three, and yeah. you know when Dave was there, and that you know that was a that's a black flag, of course, thing that that yeah. he took. But you haven't heard that part until you hear Joey C play it, because Joey C replaced Dave in that, and then Joey <laughs> just, I mean, demolished the kit. 
but that's rad that you can play that because that when that came out that was groundbreaking it really was it yeah. was like again like you know we talk about you know uh musicians that stand up you know stand i'm sorry stand out yeah and that was one of those moments i was like fucking dave man and there's nothing you the can guys. do and that's why in the song i recorded this week we had to do peter chris fills because right. no matter what the drummer did it sounded like songs from the dead it was right. dave Grohl because <laughs> if you do something in a you know drop d Single right. note thing, and the, those drums come over. It's yeah. you're gonna think of that, yeah. If you're cool, which is funny because <laughs> we're talking about Travis Barker, and they have a song on one of the albums that's uh, a blatant ripoff of the intro of the song. Oh, really? Yeah, 100. It's called um, Violence. It's actually a great song, but Travis Barker does like a really, I hate to say, but like half-ass kind of like rendition of it. But yeah. it's still cool because you can just tell it's like he's kind of paying homage to it a little bit but yeah. it's just funny because I, I never put two and two together because I liked them both when I was a kid but I'm like wait this is exactly the same the same rhythms the same hi-hat kind of keep going and it was just like I never realized it until like recently honestly but I, I think we would be in a better situation worldwide if people bought those Queens albums instead of Limp Bizkit albums I, I believe that. <laughs> you know, you know I mean? don't get me wrong. I love Boris. I think I think that guitar player is was uh, from Biscuit was. Yeah, the musicianship oh, is oh, great. Yeah. yeah. Well, okay. So let's just remove one guy then. <laughs> yeah. Who's a very nice guy. And, I'm sure he and is. And he's, he's the Gene Simmons of the aughts. Right? You know what I mean? He I, knew what I'm to sure do. He, he figured it out. Yeah. He's a great guy. But I agree. You know, but I, I've always said that too. Like growing up, I wish more people listened to Red Cross than Nirvana. I think the right. world would be in just peace everywhere yeah but well and not only that but it, it's really hard then because then everyone starts to sound the same you know that's why it's difficult that's why like when this is in the radio and they play the same fucking songs on the radio you know it's just like how can you expect to influence anybody differently you know max turned me on to a band god i don't even know how many years ago it was a band called mew m-e-w mm -hmm. and uh i remember the first time i heard it it was like it was such a breath of Fresh air because it was not anything mainstream, but it was all such beautiful melodies and it was really intricate, not easy drum parts. They were, um, it's, it's almost prog rock. Okay. So, like, they have a very different, like, but it's almost like Pink Floyd fucking had a baby with Rush. Yeah. You know, because the, the time signatures are really out there, but but the, the melodies are so hypnotic and ethereal, and there was just a lot of cool shit in there. So, Max, when's the first time that you remember watching your dad play on stage? That's a good question. Um, yeah, I think, like, on a big stage, yeah. I specifically remember that one, I think it was, like, a festival, and I was playing your floor tom. <laughs> I, like I brought him up to yeah. play the floor tom. We played a, a, a baseball diamond out yeah. in, uh, oh, gosh, I can't even think of what, where it is, but it's, like, like... Corona or something? No, 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 we're looking more, more north. north yeah, going north. What band? It, it was Bullet Boys, Bullet Boys okay. and it, it was uh, Great White, Bullet Boys, and like a slew of other bands, and so we were co-headlining, and then... That was like, what, 98, 99? Gosh, Max, I, I honestly I couldn't know. tell you, probably around that time period, yeah. yeah. But Max was probably about six or seven years old, yeah. and uh, and I, I told my wife, I said, bring him up on stage, and then we got to a part of the song, and I said, I want you to play the floor tom. So he got up there, and he's barely a, a taller than the floor tom, yeah. and he just, <laughs> he just hit the floor tom, it was really cool. Yeah, yeah. yeah I specifically remember that one because of that, and then I also remember Mick had his nipples pierced, which is like weird <laughs> to me. Like, I'd never seen that before, and I was like, okay. Yeah, I want that, Dad. Yeah. <laughs> Forget this music thing. <laughs> yeah, right. That's all I need. So, okay. So you see your dad play. Look, did you have aspirations to be a musician yet, or was it? I mean, it's just a family business to you. I yeah, mean, at this pretty point. much. I feel like it was kind of just always known. I don't. I wasn't. Yeah, I wasn't even like. Not that I didn't have a choice, like in a bad way, but yeah. it's just mentally and almost like emotionally. Like I just feel like I didn't have a choice, like to. Uh, want to do anything different well and you know and i had a, a conversation a serious conversation one time and i said max 
Just because I play music doesn't mean you have to play music. You could be a fucking yeah. anything you want. You could be a dentist, whatever it is. You'll be a rock star at that. Whatever you want, I promise, and we'll we'll take care of that. But and no one he, wants to do that. Yeah, and, and he <laughs> just he said no. He said no. I don't want to. Well, I mean, it has to have been a house of music because you're a wonderful wife. I mean, she managed Trouble, yeah, right. Yeah. Which is I love Trouble so oh, much. That's a great band. It's a great band. Um, so there's you grew up with nothing but music around yeah, you. Literally nothing but music. I mean, yeah. we would have jams in our living room. Yeah. Literally put up two drum sets, three amps, PAs, and anybody can get up and jam at any time, from, starting from when he was about five or six years old. Okay. Yeah, so he always had music, you know. But again, like I said, it, it didn't matter to me what he did, but he, I wanted him to go to school for it. That was a thing. Okay. So, so he went to Loxa out here, and then he went to Boston and Berkeley, mm -hmm. and, and we wanted to make sure he understood. So it wasn't like me where I had to look at the first guy in chair in order to fucking know what the part is. You know, I wanted him to be able to chart read anything. You know, and the first time I'll never forget this. You know, he was playing big band jazz, and I'll never forget this as long as I live, man. We, they played some place in um, Pasadena, some uh, um, like a playhouse in Pasadena. And, uh, and I remember he pulled his charts out, you know, me and my wife are in the audience. And I'm like, oh, my God, because I've never seen him read charts. Here's nipples. <laughs> <laughs> Fresh. So they were that would have been yeah. great. That would have been great. So sorry. But, but he, he looks at the chart and then he fucking counts. One, two, one, two, three. And he's playing this fucking up-tempo thing that's like at the speed of light. And he's just looking at the chart. Wow. Playing, and I was like, wow. That, that to me was like, no matter what he did after that, you know, that was a really brilliant, like, I knew he was able to achieve that goal. Yeah. yeah. And you had to just be swollen with Dude, you have no idea. I, I don't. Absolutely man. crazy. Yeah. It's just crazy, crazy, man. That's amazing. Yeah. That was really hard for me, though. It wasn't like uh, very simple because I did come from like a more rock background. Yeah. Right? Um, when I had first audition, because you had to audition again in that school. That's right. I came in just like rock star. Like I, I think I did uh, one of my, the pieces I played for the yeah. school was songs for the deaf. Like, was the Queen's oh, nice? It's like a jazz and classical, and they're like, "What is this kid doing?" Like, <laughs> I had super long hair back then, and it was just like really apparent that I kind of like didn't belong. And then they really wanted me to go to that school, and I was already over it because like, oh, they don't want me. Like, screw them. Like, I can do this on my own. But they wanted me to go, so they helped me, and they got me like lessons to like start learning how to read and kind of just like learn jazz basically yeah. and then the second time that i auditioned is when i got in and then from there it's uh, a very intense like program like i don't know if you've ever seen whiplash that film mm -hmm. i had two teachers like that yeah. character and uh it was like the best thing that happened to me like because it's hard when your family is teaching you because there's certain i don't know, like not boundaries but yeah you got to get pushed though yeah like a football coach. And these but people didn't care about me in that way so like they just like pushed me <laughs> and like were mean and stuff and just really just wanted the results and, and that really helped me a lot to kind of build like a a specific type of work ethic especially like within jazz and like classical it's, it's a whole different thing hey max these guys look at me the same way really they think i have no <laughs> boundaries and push them too much that's good though that's good <laughs> it's the truth it really is i respect those teachers and yeah, I, I miss true. them a little bit but yeah. not that much but um but yeah so after i had gone through all that it was it was interesting because i kind of um it was intense so then i went to berkeley for a while mm -hmm. But I ended up not staying at Berkeley because that high school was so intense. I basically could have like tested out of all the early, like basically two years of class. Yeah. So I was like, I'm just going to start touring or start working as a musician. I wasn't sure if I was on tour or what it was. Like but I remember, stuff. though, you calling home and saying, I mean, Dad, I'm here at Berkeley, but I'm getting offers to go on tour. Yeah. Like, so what's kind of like, what, what's the end goal? And I was like, Max, the end goal is that you have a career in this. And he's like, well, if I'm getting offers, isn't that kind of like the start of my career? And yeah. I was like, yeah, it is. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's like when kids playing basketball in college, yeah. 
and they leave early to go to the pros. No one cares if a doctor does that, but if it's a, <laughs> if, if it's a basketball player, like, wait, you need your education. You know what I mean? So, And you can't learn unless you learn on the road. You know yeah, that. Brain surgeons not doing that, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, no, I think that's great. So do you still play or? Yeah, so in the past years, I've been um, just like a touring musician because I've I used to, basically, I used to have a boy band. It's okay. funny. I, I love to admit it and I hate to admit it, but it was like a pop boy band. that I used to live in um, the UK for a long time, and we did like arena tours, opening for like big pop artists that were from like London and Europe and stuff. Were you playing drums or are you up in the front in line? This, band. Yeah, okay. this was a band that actually formed in LA by um, a manager who just kind of like found us all and put us together. And then some like, um, I don't know if it was a label or this guy, a management company kind of found us from the UK and basically had us come and move out there and start touring with all these artists and it was one of those things that was like a great experience and um but just didn't really pan out to be like the big thing that i wanted then after that i kind of just started touring with different um artists from like punk bands to hip-hop artists to pop artists and i've kind of been doing that for the past few years now and um uh i've been switching between guitar and drums like the last artist i did i just would literally switch guitar and drums throughout the um, okay. set and we have like a whole pro tools rig where it's all time coded so i don't what band was that this was um an artist named femme she's like a girl singer she's kind of like an alternative hip-hop girl and um yeah and i've just been doing a lot of honestly a lot of hip-hop yeah nowadays, well, hip-hop's kind of weird I mean, look what travis is doing yeah now, exactly right? kind of in that same realm yeah i mean but, for you jimmy i mean it's got to be weird like do you stay on the sidelines and let him figure it out himself or well i mean it's that's a tough situation it really is and, and that, i couldn't even imagine and, and that kind of became the, the the hardest thing for me is to not interfere when he was doing something i'd go duh, duh, duh. yeah exactly you, know, you can't do that you gotta let him scratch and you gotta let him fall and get himself up that's what it was about yeah. but uh but yeah that that's a hard thing especially because there was a couple of contracts that came across the, the fucking desk, dude. Mm-hmm. And seriously, my wife looked at it and she looked at me and she goes, this is fucking horseshit. Yeah. He cannot sign this. And he was like, yeah. but I want to sign it. And I was yeah, like, yeah. Max, yeah, fucking can't. I'm sorry, yeah. you can't do it. You know, and, and it's tough, but you know what? Um, I guess that for some, it's a part of the journey. And, and he, like he said about his teachers that, that were really hard on him, that could have been an experience that he might have been able to learn from, but, uh, you know, but it's not easy. Yeah, and then for you, Max, do you, immediately think like i'm gonna go to my dad and my mom because they have all the experience or do you want to figure it out yourself or is it a 50 50 um it's interesting now nowadays it's a little different i feel yeah. like back then i definitely yeah. always like if i got a contract yeah. or anything i just always would bring that home yeah. and say like what is this or what's up with this but nowadays it's a little different um i don't know why i just well, I think not, you, not that I've you, distanced myself. But, but you've learned a no, but you've learned a lot. Yeah. You understand like when something feels yeah. like it's too friendly, it's gotta be foul. I mean, you know, it's it's like you, you know now what's up. And that's yeah, the yeah. truth. Yeah. yeah. The yeah. the term it's too good to be true exactly. is the real yeah. shit. Yeah, it really is. Yeah. Yeah. But um yeah, and honestly like a lot of the fortunately for me, like a lot of the artists and people that I've been working with have been like kind of close to me and friends with me, so I've had a good amount of trust with the people that I've been touring with and kind of working with. So I haven't felt like the need to be skeptical and like take anything to them or ask them questions, but um, I don't know. I'm sure in the future though, I yeah. they're always there for me, and I'm right. I'm not like afraid to like ask yeah. them. That's about things. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's great. Yeah, that's great. I, have you been doing music in the quarantine? Yeah. So yeah, thanks for asking. Yeah. <laughs> um, because of the lack of touring and nothing really happening, I have started my own uh, kind of project as, oh, yeah? as my individual, individual artist and um it's what been kind fun. of music it's uh it's really interesting because i can't really place it on one genre but it's definitely got like um 
the rock music that I like, the rock and roll, but it's got a little bit of pop and a little bit of hip hop influence as well. Kind of everything is in a melting pot that you've grown up. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, a little bit of the emo, the alternative. <laughs> and that's 80s. the thing. I remember, like, I sat with him at one point because I reminded him, like, the Beastie Boys at one point said, "Why are we just playing one style? We could play mm. fucking everything." Yeah. Yeah. And the Beasties were the first band that I remember that did. They did punk. Yep. They did old school rap and then they did like fucking jazzy fucking like ethereal and then they fucking got back into fucking just the old school fucking rock style shit. So th- that band kind of proved to me at least like you can do whatever you yeah. want. But just be good at all of it. Just yeah. fucking put out some real yeah. good shit. Their fan base stayed with them. and Yeah. So you do? are you doing like different songs in different genres on the same album or are you going to put them out as singles? I think at this point... Singles is yeah. the way to start, you know, yeah. which is kind of how it is. Like, at least, like, build some sort of momentum and then kind of um, figure out where to go from there. But, yeah, I think initially it'll be singles and I can gauge what people like because there are kind of, like, different genres. Like, oh, certain people like this heavy song. Yeah. Maybe I'll put right. out more heavy songs. Or if they didn't like like the heavy song as much, maybe I'll put out some more See, pop-sounding songs. And to me, that's kind of, like, the part that's it's a blessing and a curse at the same time is, like, mm-hmm. He doesn't have to adhere to a, yeah. a standard of how to do something. You have no one down your back saying, you know what this I mean? is what we want but, you to but do. But at yeah. the same time, he doesn't have anybody to help him kind of go out yeah. and, and, and do all that fucking yeah. lifting. You know, He has to do it himself, which, again, to me, that's a part of today's new world of being a musician is you kind of fucking got to know how to do that shit yourself now. Yeah, we you learned know? the hard way today. Yeah. You too, Keelan. But I, mean, you, I know yeah. you. You're yeah. doing the same thing. You've you, know? Been a, you know what's funny is that Jimmy... Uh, did the Glitter Queen drums <laughs> at the That's very right. beginning. That's right. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. Was yeah. it right. that Do You Love Me beat? No, no, no. <laughs> it's yeah, it's exactly. close to it, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's yeah it was awesome. Um, I mean, I think for me, like growing up when I did and in the bands I was in, we had to do everything ourselves. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. it's just that, that punk rock DIY attitude. Well, like, I mean, Fugazi took it to the next level. Yeah. But, I mean, some bands, yeah, as long as you, you know what you're getting into and nothing like, because remember, I mean, back in the early days of rock and roll, these guys, they signed over everything. Yeah. They signed over everything. They didn't make a fucking dime on any of their careers. So, I mean, no one's that bad anymore. But at the same time, I know that there are those 360 deals that are that are standard oh, yeah. like now, where it's yeah. just that, that to me is like such a like fuck why would you do that why would you do that to an artist where you just say i'm going to own everything you know that that you make you know to me that's just that's a bummer well there's that and there's a, there's a lot of and that there probably always was but in my times of managing and working for labels there's an influx of rich people yeah. whose kids want to be in bands yeah. so they can have all the talent in the world but if they don't have that drive and they don't have that push if they don't want to shake the hands or I have talked to Max about that in the past. Like some of those musicians, unfortunately, you know, they they don't have the urgency of becoming uh, financially stable, and that's a part of the urgency is that you don't have money, you can't feed yourself, you don't have enough money to take care of your car and do these things. So that's why you fucking work so hard at it. You know, I remember when Poison first moved out to LA, I was I was good friends with uh, with Brett at the time because we dated sisters. And they lived together, so I would this guy. See, I, I, I would see I'd see Brett at, at their house, and this is we're talking like 1984, 85, somewhere in that department. Um, and I remember those guys were fucking; they were living off the land. I mean, they were yeah. fucking just doing anything they, they could to feed themselves. Mm-hmm. And uh, and it wasn't until like they started getting like like these like the these girls that would you know pay for their dinner. Okay. Yeah. 
<laughs> they get girls to buy them strings and sticks and shit. Yeah. And that's and that was a part of like I think uh, that whole world that where people were all pulling together to help this band get off the ground and. Lo and behold, they fucking became one of the biggest bands fucking out of that time period. Yeah, when I was in, I was in Detroit for a while when I worked for Interscope, and you would see Bobby at the time, who's Kid Rock, working his ass. We, you yeah. could see him because he had this stupid fucking kid and play <laughs> hair, and he was but he was everywhere to the point where it was almost a joke. Right. But I was not surprised. I was yeah. surprised at the difference in hairstyle when right. he got big. But I was like, that does not <laughs> surprise me because he worked. It didn't matter what show it was. You yeah. know what I mean. It could be a dancing show. It could be a Beastie Boys. It didn't matter. He was there, yeah. and he was pumping his shit. So it's, it, that's all it takes. It's, I, I remember one time, because I, I, I'd yell at him. I'd yell at my son, Max. I, I, I'd go, Max, why aren't you fucking playing some fucking show somewhere? Yeah. And he goes, there's nowhere to play. And I go, then go do a fucking backyard party. And he goes, a backyard. He, go, he goes, a backyard party. He goes, yeah. what are you talking about? <laughs> yeah. And I go, that's what we did when we were kids. We would find someone that had yeah. a large backyard. We'd say, we're going to supply everything, and we'll do a cleanup after, and we'll give you a piece of the door. Yeah. And, and Yeah, that's what we did. And he's like, Dad, he goes, nobody does that anymore. Nope. I mean, I'll be honest. I think they, in today's world, and everyone in, in this room is in a band. These guys are younger than you and I. Yeah. Um, there's more avenues to get yourself out there, but it's harder because yeah. there's not as many places to play. And if the, the places and are owned by Live Nation or whatever. Right. You know and what I mean? there's a million of these guys now. Yes. Where for us, there was like 300,000. Now there's like 10 million of you guys out there trying to fucking do it. That That is why I always gave him like, fuck, Max, you know, take it, you know, be yeah. smart about it. You know, try to set yourself away from those guys, you know, yeah. make, make it that you stand out from, from all those knuckleheads. And it's know? funny because you'll see like at these festivals that we do, you'll see these. You know, these bands come out, these new bands, and they all have brand new, like, vintage Gibson, brand oh, new yeah. vintage. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they have these, you know, Les Pauls, and it's like, man, you know their parents are oh, bankrolling that. They didn't have to work for that, oh, yeah. and it shows in their Pay music, there's no shows. soul. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I remember you told a story once, when you were young, uh, a drummer gave you a set of cymbals, I think it was? Yes, and it's a drummer <laughs> that you ended up, you know. you know him, it's so crazy. <laughs> so I Is play this Chad Stewart? No, oh. uh, a Kevin um, Barry. Kevin Barry. No, so I was uh, I was probably about fourteen years old, and we played a battle of the bands at the Troubadour, and we came in second place. And the the, the band that came in first place was called uh, uh, Romeo, and we were at the time uh, with Steve Gaines from uh, from Striper, his little brother Steve Tim Gaines. Gaines. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, we okay. were a band called uh, Prisoner. Okay, so we came in second place, and I'll never forget the drummer from Romeo, older gentleman. With a nice handlebar mustache, beautiful long blonde locks, and, and he came up to me and he goes, "Hey kid, he goes, you are really good." He goes, "I see you have all broken cymbals. Everything was just trash." He goes, "Man, he goes, uh, I got some old cymbals in my place. If you want, he goes, you can come get them, get them." And I said, "Okay." And I was like, "Oh my god, this guy's gonna give me cymbals." So I called my mom. I told my mom, "I go, mom, that that man wants to give me free cymbals. <laughs> just come over. <laughs> just come over." And candy. And my mom was like. No, you're not. <laughs> but uh, but no, but the, but the truth was, he gave me his address, and uh, I went to his house. I'll never forget, dude. He popped open a fucking tour case. There was a row of like wow. twenty symbols, and he goes, "Go ahead." And because I'm like, you know, like I said, I come from humble beginnings. I'm not not like a greedy pig. I grabbed one symbol, <laughs> and I said, "Thank you so much. I appreciate it, Kevin." And he goes. Dude, he goes, you're, all your cymbals are broken. Yeah. And, then he started, and he grabbed me hi-hats, he grabbed me crashes, wow. ride cymbal, a china. So he gave, literally gave me probably like $1,000 worth of cymbals, just gave them to me. That's amazing. And, and, they, and so when I talking to, to Keelan one day, and I, and I told him a story, and he goes, dude, he goes, I know that guy. And I go, no. Because <laughs> you couldn't get, a, you, were, you were saying, I would love to find a way to get a hold of him. Yes. And I'm like, you're 
his wife sold my parents our house that I grew up in. Yeah. <laughs> Such a small world. Yeah. That's what people yeah. don't understand. Mm-hmm. I wrote this is the I, smallest I, I, industry I wrote ever. The, the, the wife on, on Facebook this long, long letter about how her husband literally changed my life because, dude, ever since that, I have done the same thing when I could and where I could. I've given drummers, oh, yeah. like, you know, hi-hat stands, you know, a, a cymbal stands, you know, snare drum if you need it. You, you know, work whatever. with me on my song. I could tell you're, like, always helping whoever you can, well, how you can. When, when you and I talked that yeah. prior to that, you were getting ready to give up playing music. I don't know if you remember <laughs> this. I wasn't in a good you state of you mind, were, You probably. weren't in a good place, and I remember yeah. I thought, no, I, I've seen you play, dude. You, it's not, it, you don't have the option to not play. It, it, it's in your soul. You could tell on certain people. <laughs> it's a part of who they are as human beings, and I saw that with you, and I'm like, no, dude, just come over and just put the song down real quick. If you had a song, yeah. you're like, I got, I got the song I want to I yeah. do. So that's, I remember you came over, <laughs> and we did everything right there in one day. Yeah. I, I think you, I, you laid down guitars, everything. But it, w- but to me, that's what it's yeah. about. Yeah. Again, you know, it's about helping the next generation or helping anybody who wants to achieve that dream, helping them to achieve the dream. If, yeah. you, if you can, you know, great, do it. If you, you know, I mean, even if it's just being a cheerleader, that helps as well. Yeah. So, Max, Damien just had a baby last month, right? <laughs> Congratulations. So, Thank you. So what advice would you, because Damien plays in, in a band called Raptors. What advice would you? This is nothing against you. I just want to hear. <laughs> what what advice? Hey, Max, do you have me. a baby? Do you have a story? I was to tell? Say, Max, do I know? You no, no. I don't know. What advice would you give to him? You know, as his baby grows, and you know, mm-hmm. about being you know, around music. being around music, and and is there too much pressure? There's not enough pressure. Like, I think, because obviously you love music. If you just um, embrace and love music the way you would naturally and if your child takes on with it that's great if they don't they'll know about it and they'll be you know they'll probably respect it regardless but I think if you don't um, don't pressure it but just love it the way you would normally you know and embrace yeah, sure. music the way you, you would in your own life and I'm sure it'll uh, I'm sure it'll turn out well because music is everyone loves music you know and yeah. if you can be a part of it that's usually what people want to do so especially nice. kids yeah so I grew up in a house that was all sports. There was no, I mean, my dad listened to Gene Vincent and Chuck mm-hmm. Berry and Elvis, obviously. And, you know, I got to go see Elvis when I was a kid. And, uh. um, but I had to fight through all of that. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Sneak out, like literally go play shows out of state without them knowing. So I think what you guys have is, it's, it's more than amazing, it's beautiful. And uh, I mean, I've always thought that when, when I first met your mom and, and Jimmy and, mm-hmm. and stuff. And it's like that, I will never ask for a different childhood than I have. But I think what you guys have is beautiful. I really mean that. And, and there's a balance in there, too, you know, because uh, I, I think that uh, we all know that rock and roll kind of is a as an alternate universe, you know, um, and I wanted him to have the regular stuff like sports, too. So yeah. he did play soccer. He did taekwondo. You know, I want him to have all the things. I just told the Roger story. That's a great story. <laughs> yeah. God. Um, maybe you could tell him in a second. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> I, you know, um, because I knew that we knew how to provide him with rock and roll information. It's the other stuff that, I, as a parent, that I didn't know a lot about. So that's why I wanted to try to give him the best balance of life. You know, if he had wanted to play, you know, I mean, he's 6'1". If he wanted to play sports, you know, I would I would have been right behind him with sports. Mm-hmm. Like, let's get you in the right fucking, you know, playing with the right people. You know, whatever it was that he wanted to do, I wanted, you know, as long as he loved it and he was a happy. Because I remember, I don't even know if he remembers, but I remember I used to ask you as a child growing up, Max, are you happy? Mm. And, and just to just know, I mean, because if he was like, well, 
No, I'm kind of not happy. If it's because I didn't give him fucking more cookies, that's one thing. <laughs> yeah. But if it's just like, you know, like, yeah, like, I, I don't feel happy. And, uh, you know, I would have been like, okay, well, let's talk about that stuff. But, um, you know, music to me is such a gift that uh, I'm, I'm glad that he's able to share his talents now with other people. And that to me is like, you know, just tenfold. And I oh, just wonder what it's going to be like when Damien's kid, if he ever uh, ends up playing music, what the music scene will be like then. Wow. Because I want to manage him. It's going to be a whole, <laughs> Good. whole different thing. Because, like, like, I've had my moments where I thought I was going to have a band, and it's hard to, like, get people today right. to have a band. Yeah. Um, so, like, that's why now it's easier just to go out and do your own thing and find people to play with you. Yeah. I don't know what it's going to be like in 10, 15 years in, from now and creating bands and no backyard parties. Maybe they'll be, all come back. Maybe it'll go full <laughs> it'll be, circle. It'll be, yeah. nothing, nothing but backyard parties. Yeah, I know. No, only backyard parties. Yeah, yeah, six backyard, feet. This guy. Yeah, right. That's, yeah. that's going to be the, my band. It's going to be... It's it's all different anyways because people have video games and fo- we didn't have that we had right. rock and roll monster movies and comic books and sports yeah. and that's it yeah and you were gonna do one of those and most people chose music because you know like I said you get girls. to have sex yeah exactly yeah. <laughs> we said so, sex is a part of the deal it is always been a part of the deal <laughs> to this day what so there, there's Dell you're still there with us right. Yes, sir. I, got, I know you got a list of burning bullet boys questions. Yeah, because I want to jump to 2020 and the reunion. So and there you go, fire yeah. them off, Dale. Go on. Oh, wait, 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 actually, let me say this. I, I do have a couple segues because, you know, I've been listening and I, I don't know if Max can hear me. So I didn't want to start asking questions. Yeah, and I can also, hear you. Okay. All oh, right on. Okay. So, uh, Jimmy, let me ask you this because obviously, um, before you got there, Jimmy was basically talking about how he can visually learn things very quickly. And to a certain extent, it sounds like your, your uncle has something of the same kind of, uh, way to learn information or pick up information. Do you feel like you had some of that same stuff? Because it sounds like you were very early on playing solos and things like this. Do you, do you have that same sort of way to pick up information? Yeah, definitely. Visually is, it's kind of how he, I don't know if I keep, meant to teach me that way but it was just kind of um i don't know if it's i, I think it's genetic honestly because i swear to god i can't even explain it but it I, i'm like gonna tell that. you two two times this happened to me in my lifetime with my son and this this freaked me out we were at a um at a music store and uh the ending of what's the song from eric clapton where the, it's a piano part at the end of the song layla, layla. okay everyone's familiar with that right mm-hmm. unfortunately okay <laughs> max is sitting there at a piano and the song is playing above him in a speaker, and he sat there and he deciphered it from from hearing it, and then started playing it on the piano. That one time, that one fucking time. Wow. And I remember wow. I was like, like I go, I walked over and I go, "Who taught you that?" And he goes, "I just was listening to it right now," and because I, I saw it on the radio, and I go, "So you heard it right now, and you played it right now." He goes, well, it took me a minute to figure out the structure, but yeah, here, here, and he fucking played it. And I remember that freaked me out a little bit, but he also, he also did it with Randy Rhodes with the guitar solo from S-A-T-O. Oh, nice. I remember he was in his room one time playing, and then I, I heard it. I heard the, if anybody, go, if you don't know the song, please go fucking listen to that song. It's one of the best Randy Rhodes solos in the history of fucking, or solos Mm -hmm. in the history of music. And I walked by his room and I heard it being played without the music. And I was like, what the fuck? And I opened the door and he's sitting there, you know, and he's playing it. And then I, I, I walked in front of him and I go, who taught you that? And he goes, well, I just been listening to it and I figured out yeah, piece I by piece. a little app too that was, I could like half slow down songs. It was called Audacity or something. It was like an early application. Okay. I, could, I was able to slow it down a little bit and it just made it sound all shitty though because it was like bad quality. 
But that helped me a lot. But slowing things down. But all, but my brother, who's an amazing guitar player, never learned the Max learned all of the songs on Diary of a Madman. Yeah, and, 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 and that's I mean, insane. Dude, I was obsessed though. I was like kind of weird obsessed. I see that so. was me too. I was obsessed with fucking drums and music. I used to sleep in my uh, my bedroom. I was always given up to be the rehearsal room in every house I lived in. And I remember at night as I'm falling asleep because my bed used to lay on the side, like I'd be put up against the, uh, the wall, and I would just drop it in the floor on the floor at night and go to sleep. And I remember when I go to sleep sometimes my Symbols, I like my symbols to be tabletop flat. One would be just kind of cocked a little bit, okay? And I couldn't go to sleep unless I got up and I fixed that. And I, and I made it flat. Then I can go to sleep. That's a part of that. He has that, that obsession to fucking, you know, for, for fucking making things right. Yeah, it's crazy. Like, we were on tour once and with this band, Escape the Fa I'm going to say their name because I'm, what do they do, fight me? Um, <laughs> I, so, I got your back. Yeah, thank you. And the guitar player would come on, the guitar player at the time, you know, we'd be listening to something, and he would just whip off like Eruption. Like in my day, if you could play that, everyone in the Forget neighborhood would come Forget and watch it. you. And yeah. this could, but there was no feel to it. It was All just right. the right. notes. Right. You know what I mean? Right. And it was, and I don't know if it was that. I'm not saying that's you, because obviously you have ability, like, but it seemed like he, it was just mathematics to him. Right. And there shouldn't be mathematics in rock and roll. Not in my rock and roll. You're right, because I because that is a lot of musicians uh, that I I've seen, come, especially when they come out of. And then please forgive me. Don't fucking write me about your fucking hate mail. But <laughs> people who go to like MIT or certain guitar institutions, I feel like that's one of the things. Like you said, it becomes a bar. It becomes a yeah a phrase. It becomes something that is is not emotional. It's not it you know. And to me, that's what music is. It's it's about your heart being able to yeah. sing. You know, and if you can't let the heart take over in that area, then your your head is doing it all, and all it do is counting bars and beats. You know, and so yeah. I, I've heard that a lot, though. Yeah, it's crazy. Jimmy, you actually once said um, a good player is basically balls and grace. Do you do you recall saying that? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, that's because th that's really what it is. I mean, I, I feel like that's what John Bonham really was. I mean, when you listen to him playing, that's fucking balls, and then his, there's just grace in it. When he does some of those roles in Achilles' Last Stand. Fuck, man. I listened to that thing to this very fucking day and just go, I wonder what the engineer felt like listening back to that in the speakers when they recorded that. Seriously. I mean, there was a guy in the fucking studio. John Bonham's doing those roles in Achilles' Last Stand, and this guy's looking at the speakers going, this is fucking great. This is the fucking best thing I've ever heard. I mean, that shit's just like, you know, again, that's just people who play their instrument, you know, uh, to a point where they become one with it. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and uh, you know, that doesn't happen as much anymore as it used to you know that's why every time a new artist comes out that's actually really good he's not really maybe that good but in a sea of shit he's a rose you yeah know? it's like fuck that guy's this, you know no back when we were growing up fucking peter frampton <clears throat> aerosmith black sabbath mm -hmm. led zeppelin fucking ted nugent fucking van halen fucking kiss fucking baba down the line so every level like all the levels were at 30 yeah so you couldn't put out shit you put out shit, you got dropped. Well, look at like the babies were a C level band, exactly, and they were a great band. And now you listen to them, you're like, fuck, this is a great yeah. band. But you had like Boston, a band like Boston played all those fucking parts. They sang all the harmonies, they did everything. Now, uh, now Homeboy did have a, a a backing track for drums and percussion, but they did all the vocals, yeah. and he played all the keyboard parts. Yeah. I mean, but just bands back then, I just feel like you know, I hate to sound like that old guy now. It's true, but, it, but I just feel like like nobody really puts it all out like that anymore. I think the first one like that. For me, and it's been a long time now, was um, Chris Cornell. Oh, I was like, oh, absolutely. He can fucking sing so great. Like, I grew up at a time where everyone could fucking sing. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, yeah. you had to be able to sing and fucking just nail absolutely. it. Absolutely. It wasn't until, see, people got, got Roth wrong because he was an entertainer. 
So everyone thought that all you had to do was have long blonde hair. Right. That's how you get the mince nails, and I know he's a friend of yours. I'm just saying. Yeah. Like, but singing kind of went out. I mean, once you get to a band like Britney Fox, they may be friends of yours, but I'm just saying. <laughs> well, no. When you're copying the guy from Cinderella, well, like, I don't know what to tell but, you. But, but, but first of all, let me just say this. The 80s music, unfortunately, I, I didn't enjoy it. I don't think I think I think the fans enjoyed it, but I'm not trying to. Uh, I hope I mean again. Don't fucking rhyme me about your hate mail. But the yeah. thing is this: um, I think that that that's when music started to go south because people were packaging things up. Mm -hmm. It became more of a packaging process. Yeah. It was like you said: get a blonde singer and get get hot get shot a, guitar player. Yeah, and get a little bit of a gimmick and write a ballad, and that was what a band a band was. And then you have White Lion. No yeah, one wants and, it. And it was tough because you know what? I wanted to be a band that was different from that. I really yeah. wanted to be more of the old throwbacks. But you know what? I mean, at some point, if you don't put a, a fucking uh, a ballad out, your your band doesn't sell a million albums. Yeah, and, and there was happened to us. Yeah, and I mean, when you even then though, when people tried to be that throwback like Kingdom Come. It was still that package. You know what I mean? It was almost yeah. But impossible. those guys, they they said the thing. They they said the thing. Like I the like the guys now are saying the same thing. I swear, uh, <laughs> this band. For those of you who don't know, this, there's a band in the '80s called Kingdom Come, and they they sound just like Led Zeppelin. And then when they asked about their influence on Led Zeppelin, the band actually said, well, "We ne have never heard of Led Zeppelin." Yeah, Greta Van Fleet just did the same thing <laughs> two just, years ago. Dude, it's so crazy, yeah. cuckoo. Like I would just own that shit. So yeah, I want to be fucking Led Zeppelin. What do yeah. you want? You know, fuck. Fastway started out that way. They had that one right. song, Far From Home. I forget. No, no, no. Uh, say What You Will. No, that was their song, but they had a song that was a single only. It was like Far, Far From Home. That oh, was, really? It was Led Zeppelin. Oh. Dead On, and that's how they started. I'll and have to fucking yeah. go listen to that. It's good. I think it was Jerry Shirley <laughs> playing drums, who's very underrated. Yes. Um, Another uh, one. Yeah, but... Wait, like, wait, that wait. Was, go ahead. Yes? Oh, the only thing I would, While we're talking about Zepp, you got, Jimmy, you got to talk to Tim about Led Zeppelin, because he saw him one time... And he refuses to even listen to a full record at this point. <laughs> I don't own a record. I did see Led Zeppelin. Okay. Oh, shit. Sorry. I want you to... We're, we're going to be wrapping up. It looks like here. Um, I want you, Tim, to to listen to uh, Houses of the Holy from top to bottom. Just do me okay. that favor. That's all. I'll pay you. You don't have to pay me. <laughs> no, no. See, I'll, see, I'll pay you with love and compliments. For me, it's like I would rather listen. I always mention them. I'd rather listen to Cactus. Right. You know what I mean? Don't get me wrong. I, I, that's good stuff, too. But that particular record is, to me, probably it's the best Led Zeppelin record. But it's also, it covers ground that no other band has ever covered, to be, to be honest with you. Okay. I, I, think I will check it out. Yeah. I, think, I think Laura actually has all those albums, so. Just, how lame that? am I? I only know she <laughs> listens to Zebra every time we're in her car. Oh, my God. <laughs> Why did I have to she, throw that in there? But I love did. that. Dude. Yeah. She drives Laura, around. I'm going oh, to rip her so bad. When oh, I yeah. I'm going to say, Zebra. Yeah, dude. That's the voice right there. <laughs> you open the car door and zebra. Like, what? Yeah. What That's planet what am going. I on? Who listens to zebra? <laughs> the white Randy Jackson. What? <laughs> well, all right. Well, yeah, cool. this was awesome. This is great. This but is great. I, I really, we have to do something. But I want you back because I really, and maybe we'll wait till this this quarantine comes. Yeah, yeah. Or is gone because I want to talk about 2020. Yeah. I want to talk about the show that I watched you guys do. Dale's turned me on to that. And just real quick. The Never Say Die cover. Yeah. Unbelievable. Thank you. Uh, you know, again, it's really tough right now because the, the band is still so new to each other that, that we've hit some stumbling blocks with the song and we're not sure of the actual, uh, of the outcome. And, and that's just the truth of it. I'm not, we're not sure. The band is really still very fragile in some areas and I'm hoping that we can 
figure it out, um, you know, but uh, it's, it's not easy, you guys. It's not easy reuniting after 25 years and then just jumping right back into the sack. You know, we probably should have taken our time and, and, and done some, some different things first. Uh, but uh, as of right now, I, I'm not really sure that that song's going to happen after all. So, well, I'll tell you this: what I'll what get I you saw, the copy though, so you can have it. Yeah, because <laughs> what what I saw and and realized, I mean, I've I've been around drummers my whole life. You know what I mean, right. Dave and of course, um, Joey. Charlie, yeah, all, all those guys. Yeah. Um, how everyone speaks so highly of you and your playing. Oh, thank you. And I had never seen you play live before, but I saw that, and I could tell when there was there was a couple guys. I don't want to get anyone in trouble, but there was a couple moments where people felt unsure. Yeah. And what you did to fill that space was fucking so great, dude. Oh, thank you. And it was really, I was like, you got to come see this. You know what I mean? And there was a moment I forgot which part in that song, but you just really pushed it through, and it just shows how music for you flows through you. Yeah. And it flows through your hands, and it flows through your sticks. And you just knew what to do instinctively, and it was amazing. That was another word I messed up. And, and I, <laughs> but I, I will tell you, growing up in in, in my household, <clears throat> it was like Sly and the Family Stone, Chicago, Blood, Sweat, and Tears. It was bands that I really felt that uh, um, that could do anything. Yeah. And I feel like when I get behind the drums, when I'm confident, I, I practice a lot. I feel like there's something that I can't do on drums. Honestly, yeah, that's yeah. amazing. Yeah. Jimmy, it's been a pleasure. Thanks, you guys. I love thanks you. Thanks for bringing I love you, too. Thanks for letting this guy uh, come in. Hope that was a nice surprise. That was, I was like, don't say anything. Yeah, please give uh, your beautiful wife my best. And you do the same for me, too. I'm not married. <laughs> <laughs> Stop it. But uh, uh, I'm going to come back, and we're going to do an extended version of this thing. Yeah, you know, yeah. Why don't you come back, bring some sort of setup. We had uh, Raw from Suicidal here last week, brought nice. in a bass. I'll it do, was I'll do, great, I'll dude. Do whatever you need me to do. I'll yeah, do let's it. bring in a, a kid. <laughs> or not a full kid, obviously. Look at no, this. What's happening here? Yeah, but little bongos or whatever, man. Or, whatever. or a pad. Yeah, and a Max, some too. Christopher. Yeah, so, awesome. Cool. Thank awesome. you, guys. See you, Dale. I appreciate it. Thanks, Thanks guys. guys. Okay.